Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your co-host. I'm sitting here with my co-hosts, Sally Chapel and Paul Farrell. And tonight, folks, we are not doing the usual thing, which is drinking. Well, there's probably going to be drinking, I gotta say that. But normally, we drink and we chat about a classic Hammer horror movie. But because we have just rung in the new year, we are going to be going through our own personal top ten lists, letting you know what we thought was the best of 2021 when it comes to horror movies. Or maybe some movies that aren't necessarily horror. Maybe some movies that aren't even movies. I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, got to go ahead and clue listeners in. Folks out there, it has been like six weeks since we have recorded. We have skipped the entire holiday season without saying word one to one another outside of DMing. Allie, Paul, you survived the holidays. How is everybody doing? I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> With large. I'm tired, but I'm good. Okay, so as listeners can already tell, 20 seconds in, we're going to be a little rusty at this whole podcast. It's 2022, thing. you know things things are still what they are. They right? are what we're all we're all a little tired. Listen, we showed up. <laughs> That's I've got That's my fair. I've got my toffee cookie crunch milk stout by four hands. So good, but also it's very so good. Same time. Uh, it's very good. It's beer, isn't it? It is beer. It's delicious. There we go. It's beer. Okay. Welcome that... to my <laughs> to my beer cast where I tell you about what beer I'm drinking. <laughs> I Allie, what are you drinking this evening? I, I I just mentioned offline, like I am I am teetotaling tonight. Paul's drinking beer, of course. Allie, how about you? Are you uh you hitting the water like me or are you uh are you drinking something a little harder? No, I'm like on my third hard cider. You I got are already. On, so I'm allowed to drink. Damn. <laughs> Okay. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. And Paul mentioned 2022. I saw this meme the other day that said, you know, if you think about it, 2022 is pronounced 2022. 
too. It's just another 2020. And that uh, that doesn't bode well at all. I I thought we'd be out of this ship by now. I can't believe we're. I I gotta admit though, I don't like it when news anchors and the like say that we're entering the third year because it feels like we've been in it for three years. I I'm I would much prefer they say something like we've just ended our second year. Like that's an easier yeah. pill to swallow. I think. Yeah, I that's know. way nicer than saying like welcome to year three of the pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's I I hear that shit. I expect to hear like the American Gladiators theme, and then uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just not ready for the, another year of this shit. Uh, I, just I can't feel like subtitles coming up being like year three of the pandemic, where the world is at. People people don't like it when you know you're told the way you know like it told told like it is, and they want it to be prettied up and gussied up. That's why no one liked the movie. Don't look up. Still oh, haven't seen it. Like that movie. I I loved it. <laughs> like I I absolutely thought it was one of the best movies of the year. But it was so funny because like on Twitter everyone hated it and I really liked it. But it's whatever. I get it. You're allowed to like things. It's okay. Oh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I just I felt like I, the problem is I have I'm very like easily influenced. So when I see everyone else that I trust not like it, then I'm like, well, maybe I don't. Should I not like it? <laughs> am I am I wrong? <laughs> But um, no, I just I guess I uh, yeah, I have a weird sense of humor. I don't know. I liked it. But uh, anyway, yeah. Pandemic times. Yay. <laughs> Here we are. Pray for pandemic. <laughs> you know, I, I am glad that we made it through 2021 uh, overall. I mean, I know we just talked about the holidays and whatnot and the fact that we're ushering in a new year. But uh, Allie, Paul, overall, 2021, before we dive into the movie side of things, how, how did you feel about the past year? Like, are you are you glad it's behind us? Are there things you're going to hold on to? Like, how how do you feel looking back now? I feel good because I met you guys. Aww. Aww. Same. Yeah, it was a good year for, for Hammer Pub, you know? I mean, yeah, I thought, like any year, um, there were there were pros and cons. Uh, Allie joining our ranks and becoming a, a, a close personal friend is one of the best things that happened. Um, I felt good about some of those things. I mean, I got, I, I feel like the best thing that's happened over the pandemic is like, there's been more family time, you know, because I, there's restrictions in the real world. So we have to stay home more, which gives me more time with like my kids and stuff like that. So that's been, been good this year. My kids got to go back to school, uh, which was great for them for their sort of mental health. Um, although now there's some question around how, what's going to happen with, with Omicron, but Omicron, Omicron, I don't know how to pronounce it. Omicron. Omicron. It sounds like the worst fucking transformer. Does it not? Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. It's Um, the guy from Futurama. (laughs) Oh yeah. But no, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to moving forward though. I want to, I want to keep pushing forward. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. I, I definitely feel like last year was a damn sight better than the year before in a sure. number yeah. of ways. Oh, by far. And uh, I, I'm just hoping, you know, that this year kind of follows through on that. Maybe it'll be even better. And then maybe one day, someday, things will get back to what we recognize as normal, you know, kind of. <sighs> yeah, and I will I, say. I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. That's it. I just, uh, you know, I think overall it, it was a better year. Uh, it was it was a year that I 
I didn't accomplish as much as I wanted to, but I accomplished far more than I thought I was going to uh, when I was sitting kind of in the dark of 2020. Uh, so the fact that, you know, we we had we had rays of sunshine spilling down here and there. And as you both have mentioned, a big one of those was Allie. You actually joined yeah. the show and we very much appreciate that. So, uh, you know what? Yeah, Overall, I, I would say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give 2021 like a, a cautious thumbs up. You know, like I'm not sure. I got to give it a thumbs down. I'm not going to give it like a, a palm out and down, like shake. So, so sort of thing like, uh, you know, overall. Y- you did OK, yeah. 2021, and sometimes doing OK is good enough. I feel like mm-hmm. 2021 is when you go to like high five someone, but then they go in for a hug. But so then you go in for a hug, but then they go in for a high five. and You end up just not doing anything. That was yeah. 21 for me. <laughs> yeah, 2021 is like an awkward hug. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, hey, it'll, it'll get better, right, friend? <laughs> um, hopefully, hopefully, let's let's keep that trend going, just uh, higher and higher. Yes. Which now makes me want to watch Ghostbusters too, which, uh, as I noted recently on Twitter, is I love that movie, the best film in that franchise. So, uh, yeah, just throw... Ooh. wait, do we? Do I we all? Know. I I like the first one. I still think the first one's the best, but I love the second one too. I, I will say this, I and this is weirdly, uh, I, I think I'm at least going to piss off two entirely different camps here, but I will go one step further and say that uh, there is no bad film in that franchise. So, just throwing that out there. I haven't seen the I new like one all. yet, but I would agree with the ones I have seen. Yeah, I would agree with, again, I, yeah, I'm, I'm the same as Allie. I haven't seen uh, Ghostbusters Aftercare or whatever the subtitle. I don't like subtitles. Ghostbusters 4. I haven't seen <laughs> Ghostbusters 4 yeah, yet. Yeah, Paul Rudd Ghostbusters. But, um, <laughs> but I love the, the other three. Like, I'm a fan of all three for different reasons. I mean, Ghostbusters 2 holds a really special place in my heart because it was the first movie I ever saw in a theater. Oh, nice. Um, I was very, I was really little, (laughs) like really, really, really little, but I was, I saw it. Um, And so that was actually my introduction to the series. Actually, my introduction to the series was the cartoon. (gasps) I saw the cartoon. (laughs) And that's why my dad took me to see part two, because I was such a fan of the cartoon. He was like, oh, this is the same thing. And then I went to the theater and I was like petrified out of my mind, scared of that movie because I was very little and uh, Slimer scared me a lot. <laughs> like, I was really scared of Slimer. Um, I love it. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, yeah. So I, I love all of them and I'm excited to see this new one. I, I loved it. I really did. Um, it's just, it's weird out of all of the franchises that could possibly be divisive. It's weird. that Ghostbusters it has been so controversial in, in its last two entries. I just, it's, it's hilarious to me. Uh, yeah, no, I dig them all. I'm very curious to see what you do think of the new one. So I hope you love it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is usually part of the podcast where we all talk about what we've seen recently, but given that we're going to be talking about nothing but individual movies over the course of the next hour and a half, two hours, seven hours, whatever it winds up being. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and just dive in. What do you say? Let's, yeah, let's do let's, it. Let's talk our top tens of 2021. We'll uh, we'll just go round table here, starting at ten. We'll work our way to one. Then we can chat about our honorable mentions after. And uh, yeah, no. Uh, now we had a little bit of discussion before we started recording as to what format this was going to take. And one of the more popular things that uh, 
Well, I don't know. Paul, you explain it. Is it popular or is it just like two shows that does it? And what exactly is it? <laughs> well, um, it, I don't know. It, in movie podcast circles, right, um, I would say... In the elite world of movie podcasts. Of, of, like, the movie. F This Movie, Colors of the Dark, Pierce Cinema, you know, the Elric, Elric Kane, Patrick Bromley circles. Uh, there is, as, as Elric King kane finally dubbed this year the the bromley rule which is if you say a movie that is higher up on someone's list you you wait to talk about it and the only reason i mention it is i i think there's some merit to that not not to necessarily swipe it from another another another, ah can't talk another show but more because it it condenses the conversation a little bit um and speeds up I think it speeds up the the podcast so you're not dwelling too long on something that you're going to talk about again later. Um, but I'm okay with forgoing that so that way we have our own identity if we want to just kind of say caution to the winds and we'll talk about whatever we pick. No, I think it's actually a really great idea and I love it on those podcasts when they do it. But uh, what if we did the exact opposite? Okay. It could be, what would... What is Bromley backwards? Is it like Elmorb? Is that? Well, Elmorb the fuck it well, is. We're going we're gonna to Elmorb the hell out of this top ten list. No, what we've done in years past um, with previous episodes, the top tens, it was usually myself and uh, Paul. You were a part of it last year. It was Matt Feeney and Scott Foy. Uh, yeah. We've done it for the past few years. And uh, it's kind of the same thing. It's still kind of streamlined. But basically, it's kind of like whoever beats who to the punch. So... Um, if a movie is lower on my list, uh, and it happens to be higher on yours, if I get to it first, then we both kind of chat about it at once and then we skip over it when it comes later. Does that sound okay to everybody? Yes. Fine okay. by me. Yeah, Elmorb the hell out of this. Come on, say it out loud. Is it say Elmorb El- or, or, or should we call it the Jinx rule? Is it the Jinx rule or is it Elmorb? No, I'm not important enough to, I don't know. You're, you're important to me. Oh, you're important to us. You're important uh, to us. You're important to Allie and I. Thank you guys. Okay. All right. So let me look to my left. In my mind, we're sitting around the table, and Allie is kind of like to my left, and Paul, you're kind of to my right. I know okay. that that's not oh. actually the way it is, but it's just that's kind of how it feels. I don't know. That sounds right to me. That sounds so right. Let's go clockwise. Start with Allie. Allie, what is your number 10? All right. Well, my whole top 10 list, I'm very sorry. It's all top 40 this year. I did not watch a lot of independent stuff. All mainstream. But top 10. Can I say, okay, since you said that, can I interrupt for two seconds, please? Yeah. Are you two like me in that you have heard more than once this year, especially near the end of the year, when people, especially in like film Twitter circles, start talking about putting together their lists? I have heard more than once. So many people say, uh, I don't even know if I could put together a top 10. I'm not sure I could find 10 movies I even liked. Did I even watch 10 movies, period, over the course of this entire year? And I got to tell you both, I was kind of the same way. I was like, oh, my God, I don't know if I'm going to have enough to make a list. Let me see. Mm. I had 20 movies that I wanted to put in my top 10 by the time I was done. 
So it, it wound up, I don't know why it felt like I hadn't seen that much. And I'm, I'd be very curious to see if all the people who complained much about the same thing, you know, if it wound up being true for them too. But by the end of it, some of the cuts actually hurt. Like my honorary mentions is going to be like just another 10 list. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I'm I, sorry, Allie, please. I would agree. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Paul. Go ahead. No, I was just agreeing. I, oh. I saw a lot of that too. And I thought it was a great year for movies. It really was. It, it I, was. I, to have come, you know, to be standing in the shadow of 2020, like I, <laughs> God, I don't know if I should mention this yet. And maybe it'll come up in the conversation, but I kind of feel like going on past podcasts, it won't. But uh, for as good a year for movies as 2021 was, I got to say my two most anticipated movies for two years running wound up being maybe the two biggest disappointments that I can recall in maybe the last decade. And, um, you know, they're not going to make it in either top 10 list. I don't think they're going to, they're not going to make it my top 10. They're not going to make the honorary mentions. Uh, don't know how you two feel, but, uh, (laughs) I think we know. I think we know what we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. Do we, do we even mention them if we don't mention them at all? I'm going to talk about them at the end. Yeah. I'm going to talk about all of them. I'm yeah. going to talk about, I know exactly what you're talking about, Jinx, and I'll bring them up, but they're not on my list. What I want to do, I want to invite both of those movies into the room like we're going to congratulate them, like Joe Pesci and Casino, <laughs> and then beat the fuck out of them with baseball bats. <laughs> yes. That's what I want to do to those movies, because that's what I felt like. Wow. They tore out my heart, Allie and Paul. You know, the funny thing is, they're. I guarantee you, they'll both end up on the Dead Ringers top ten, because everybody over yes. there loves them. And I'm like the only one who's like, but no. <laughs> so oh. I'm, gonna lose, I'm gonna lose that battle. I already know. Oof. All right. Okay. I'm so sorry, Allie. Please. What is uh, what is your number ten? All right. My number ten. I'm gonna kick it off with a non horror, but a true <laughs> crime movie. Already breaking the rules. I love it. And I love. I love that. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um. But for a number of reasons, this movie made it onto my top 10 list. It had murder. It had powerful women. It had amazing fashion. And it had Al Pacino. I got to give credit to House of Gucci. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I hate to admit that I haven't seen it yet, but I really want to. I'm so happy the House of Gucci has made our best horror movies of the year list. That makes me <laughs> so happy. <laughs> this is amazing. Like if you look at it, it's like... Basically, this very sad woman who just like was such I shouldn't say gold digger, but she kind of was like a massively huge gold digger who was like, well, if you're not going to give me money, I'm going to kill you before you can divorce me. Like it is beautiful and it's true, which makes it terrifying. I give it up to Ridley Scott, man. Ridley Scott, he knows what he's fucking doing. He could, you know, I think he's going places. He did two movies this year. I think so, too. They were they were both, um, you know, uh, apparently good. Maybe 20 people each, you know, saw, saw each movie, uh, as I understand it. But you know what? I Him being a young, plucky filmmaker like that, who's putting in the work, but maybe not getting eyes on his stuff, I think he's kind of prime material for Marvel to swoop in and just sort of Pluck him out of obscurity and let him direct a superhero movie. I don't know how you two feel, but. I feel like he could do it. I feel like he wouldn't want to do it, though. (laughs) I would be down to watch Ridley Scott's Ant-Man 4. (laughs) 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 Oh, 
God. That sounds like a straight to like DVD kind of movie. <laughs> oh man. Well, I, I haven't seen House of Gucci yet, but I did see Last Duel, and that movie rocked my world. So uh, I'm very excited Good for House of Gucci. For him and Adam Driver, like Oh yeah. So. House of Gucci was really it's like two and a half hours long and the entire time I'm like, yes, give me this. You know what? Give me <laughs> You're like, I wish this was five hours. <laughs> I wish the documentary series that I could just sit here and watch. Like that eight hour yeah. long doc. Like, I wish it was that. <laughs> yeah. Ellie, I have to ask you, uh, I was kind of surprised at some of the reviews that I saw sort of bashing the hell out of Lady, Lady Gaga and her uh, accent because all of the marketing material that I saw, which included uh, and I don't know if this was a fan thing or something that was studio sanctioned, but on YouTube there was a video of the real woman speaking and then Lady Gaga from the film. And uh, fuck if I could hear much of a difference between the two of them. But all of the performances in the movie looked good to me. I'd be curious to see what you think about it. But one, which is uh, – I mean, is Jared Leto as silly <laughs> in the film as he looks oh. in the marketing? Because my god – is like I don't know what they were trying to do with this role because the character in and itself is a very just like a character you look at and you're like oh baby like I'm sorry sweetheart like he's just such a he tries hard but in his heart's in the right place but he's just an idiot and I can't criticize anybody for accents because I as a professional actor, I'm so bad at accents. Like, it is not on my resume. But I feel like I could do a better accent than Jared Leto could do because his was literally like, oh, the bobby the booby, I make it the fashion. <laughs> <laughs> does he and does I, he sound like Mario? Like, like you're watching like, a cutaway scene in Mario 64? <laughs> there's just one scene where, like, I feel like everyone in the theater burst out laughing was just him being like i have the chocolate gelato and then my dark thoughts and you're just like oh <laughs> but also there's a shot of him in the trailer where he is hitting himself in the face with a newspaper but he's doing it in the most over the top like oh wow oh his whole yeah, character so cool. is over the top and like was it was it an actor choice did ridley scott say like hey i want you to be like a caricature of this human like i just i just need more of the backstory to how they were like nope jared leto what you're doing money perfect don't change a thing in fact do it more (laughs) (laughs) wow all right well i need need to watch this movie it's high on my it's not on vod yet right like i'm not crazy no i don't think so okay yeah i i have to wait when it hits vod that will be a like like day one rental for me I do want to do like a, a double feature. Paul, you're right. I agree with you. Like when that hits VOD, I'm going to watch it. But I think I'm going to try and do a Ridley Scott 2021 double feature with that in The Last Duel. Oh, dear. yeah. Oh, Last Duel so good. Like it's, yeah, so good. Yeah. Rock on. can't go wrong with that double feature. Like that's a good night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paul, how about you? What's your number 10? All right. Um, so as you mentioned, Jinx, I, I felt this was a a phenomenal year for movies and I didn't see, I, there's still probably like 10 to 12 movies that like I haven't seen yet that I feel like could make my list. So, but I mean, isn't that every year, you know what I mean? You never get to see it all. So, um, you know, I did the best I could with what I had. This list has changed many, many times, but when I think about the 10 spot, the 10 spot to me is a movie that like, 
deserves to be seen, maybe isn't like the biggest movie out there. Um, and, you know, I want to kind of elevate it. Um, I usually try to go with something a little smaller, something a little more independent. Um, and this year, my 10 spot just seemed preordained the moment. Like, I'm pretty sure the moment I saw this movie, I was like, oh, this is my number 10. <laughs> and it it stayed that way all the way through the end. And that movie is Till Death with Megan Fox. Oh, wow. number seven. Yeah. It's my 10. Um, and, uh, and again, Elmore territory already. Yeah. I'm, awesome. I'm sorry, Ellie. No, let's talk and, about it now. Yeah, we can, we can both talk about it. Um, so, so for me, it, it's, it's a movie that, tri- and it's hard to talk about uh, for those who haven't seen it because I don't like part of what's really fun about it is going on the journey. It takes you on. Um, and it, it sort of tricks you a bit. Yeah. Like it, it feels at first like a, sort of quiet, meditative, introspective movie. And then suddenly it isn't that anymore. And it's something totally different. Um, and it, it it's a movie that really understands like the potential of the subgenre it's playing in. Um, and it also like actually values Megan Fox as an actress and knows how to use her. Um, and she's so rarely given the opportunity to really shine um and she does in this movie i i adored it um and it just it came very quietly um i'm not even sure i would have watched it if not for like you guys talking like i know ali talked a lot about it and and pretty much got me to buy it when it came out um and jinx talked about it too uh so yeah i i loved it and uh yeah it's my it's my 10 it's my seven, so I completely like agree with everything you're saying. I think it's a movie that finally utilized Megan Fox the way that she deserves to be utilized because, like, she's so great and she's so good and she's funny and she has this amazing timing about her that I feel all of that got pushed to the wayside because she is also stunningly hot. <laughs> Very <laughs> true. She actually can act and she can be funny and she can do all of these things things and this movie gave her a platform to kind of do all of that yeah 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 i i thought she was fantastic in it and i do love um the i I will admit the first maybe 30 or 40 minutes of the movie left me a little cold but uh once it kind of got into the promise of the film i uh i had a blast with it and i uh i thought she was great i'm very curious to see her in um you know, now that she's kind of dipping her toe into the genre a bit more. And uh, is it just me or the last year or so she seems to be making a bit of a comeback? Like there's kind of a resurgence in her career, I think, where she wasn't that visible for a while. And then, I don't know, she's she's kind of come roaring back. But she's doing a movie that's coming out hopefully this year called Johnny and Clyde. Uh, oh, that's going to be good. I can't fucking wait for it. Um, did I, I anybody... didn't. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I had done an interview with the uh, the filmmakers behind that, and it's uh, it's going to be wild, I think, and I uh, I cannot wait to see it. That sounds awesome. Um, I, I, the only thing I was going to ask did anyone see Night Teeth? I did see Night Teeth, and I didn't like it, but oh, okay. I was mad at her and Sydney Sweeney's part because literally her and Sydney Sweeney were the reason I watched it, and I was like, oh, cool, you're gone now, so why am I still here? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I avoided it because of the reviews and everything, but I wondered. It wasn't anything, but rock on. Okay, so my number ten, and I'd be very curious to see if it pops up on either of your lists. Uh, my number ten is 
uh, Censor, directed by Prana Bailey Bond, um, which is a movie that when I saw it, I thought it would ultimately wind up higher on whatever eventual top 10 list I would make, except um, I don't know. 2021, uh, Paul, as you mentioned, I, it was kind of an exceptional year for movies, I think, especially horror films. And uh, that a movie as good as Censor winds up in the, my number 10 spot tells me that, yeah, yeah, it was it was it was a damn solid year. Uh, now, both of you have seen it, I recall yes. from our last yep. conversation. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, no, I just it, you know, this movie surprised the hell out of me. I thought the premise was kind of interesting, but. You know, I, I didn't know how much they were going to be able to do with it. And I thought it was going to be, you know, possibly just kind of a surfacey exploration of, you know, the uh, the video nasty era. And instead, what we get is kind of a fascinating descent in the madness. And uh, I, I, I love what it had to say about censorship. And I love that it presented somebody that horror fans are probably more inclined to boo and hiss at and presented them in such a way that, you know, we kind of feel for them. And we know where they're coming from and they're doing something that you know, we as film fans would find kind of deplorable, but understand at least why they would be doing it. And uh, I, I, I thought it was fascinating that when the movie ultimately kind of points out the hypocrisy of what they're doing, it does so in kind of a, uh, in kind of a way that's both gentle, but also bone chillingly terrifying, I think in the final three, four or five minutes. Uh, and I know the ending doesn't work for some people. It it was gangbusters for me. Like the change in aspect ratio, how wild things get at the very end. And then the uh, just the final moments, I think, were just that. Uh, they kind of haunted my week when I saw it. Uh, I think it has an excellent lead performance. And I cannot wait to see what Prana Bailey Bond does next for her, uh, for her next film. And if you want to hear me yap about it more, I mean, I think we spent, what, like 10 or 20 minutes on it on the previous Hammer Pub. Um, you know, you could do that, or if you haven't seen it yet, just get out there and buy the Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome. I agree wholeheartedly. It's a great movie. <clears throat> Bummed that it didn't make it onto my list, but some things unfortunately had to get cut. But it was thrown into my honorable mentions, so that's one of them gone. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, I saw Censor and I liked it. Um, I definitely liked the first half a, more than the second. Like the, the when it because sh- it's a movie that kind of has one of those big shifts, yeah, um, and becomes a very different movie, kind of like Till Death in some ways. Mm-hmm. Not not at, that they're at all similar, but like it has a big shift. Um, and for whatever reason, and I I feel like I need to watch it again, but for whatever reason, the shift just kind of left me cold. Like it, it took me out of the things I really really liked about the movie, and it muddied um, the message for me a little bit. But uh, I, I respect the hell out of it, um, and it was incredibly well made, uh, and I liked it a lot. And uh, yeah, the Blu-ray is amazing. It's the packaging's really impressive, and uh, yeah, and it's worth. We should do that for every movie, by the way. We should say if it's available. Uh, so yeah, I like that. Till idea. death, till death is available uh, on a very inexpensive uh, studio release Blu-ray. It was like eleven dollars when it came out, so you should be able to get that pretty easily. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I I like censor. It's it's more in my honorables, but um, totally get why it would be on someone's top ten. Rock on, Allie, you're number nine. All right, so my number nine is a circus movie mm. starring the beautiful Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. Oh, and the I despise you for Bobby Cooper. Um, it's Nightmare Alley. 
It's the remake that Guillermo del Toro. I didn't see it yet. Ah. Not despise. It, I'm so sorry, Ali. I don't despise you for saying I. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> no, how, how dare you? <laughs> no, it's it's good and it's it's stunning and it's well designed and like so much of it was shot in and around where I live, which was like mm. obviously we knew that Del Toro loves Hamilton and like the Toronto area, so he's always kind of filming his shit up here. But it was just nice to like. To just see little parts of it in this movie and being like, oh, I film there. Oh, I walk by that every day. And also, I just, I love the story of Nightmare Alley. I love like a grifter story. And I think the only thing I would have changed was I kind of wanted like Matthew Barry to be there at some point because he's the ultimate grifter. <laughs> Except for, I don't know if that's a joke other people get besides community fans. <laughs> I, I'm just endlessly delighted at the mere mention of Matt Barry. So... Yep. Yep. And but I yeah. love community, so <laughs> it's a double well, whammy. Where he has like all the briefcases and he's grifting everybody and grifting one oh one and like <laughs> grifting one oh one. So like, Allie, I have to ask you, is it a because when I watch those trailers, I, I have to admit I uh I don't know the story of Nightmare Alley. I, I own the criterion of the original movie, but I have yet oh, to see it so when i see the trailers for the new movie i really don't have any sort of point of reference and at times like it does look like a horror movie at times it kind of looks like a noir uh so what where exactly does it land for you like genre wise falls i would say closer to a noir and like i never read the nightmare alley book but having seen like the original and then seeing the new one and then re-watching the original because i have no life right now like it's it's just the story of this rise and then aggressive fall of this grifter who comes like into the circus one day, leaves, takes all the tricks with him, goes to make the big bucks, think he can do it, and then he just demolishes his own life. Hmm. I can't wait. It is. Um... No, it's so good, and like the design of it, and like oh, and Willem Dafoe is in it, and Ron Perlman is in it, and Tony Collette is in it, and it's just like oh, I can't. Deal speaking with, my language. Right? Like, there's <laughs> a level of A-list quality acting and just the way they set up all the sites and the costumes and the locations and just, like, it's a beautiful movie to watch. I can't wait. I uh, There was that, I think, the week that it came out, um, when it, when it, you know, sadly, along with every, every other movie at the box office, kind of, you know, had its ass handed to it by Spider-Man. Um, I think Del Toro yeah. was quoted as talking about film noir, and he said something like, um, actually, I brought it up here. Give me a second. Um, noir isn't about Venetian blinds and a husky voiceover and a dimly lit street. It's not about a dame smoking under a spinning fan. Those are the cliches. Those are the Coca-Cola commercials of noir. What I understand to be noir is the real grittiness that comes out of American realism. Those films that channel the same spirit as George Bellows or Edward Hopper or Thomas Hart Benton. It's the poetry of disillusionment and existentialism, that tragedy that emerges between the haves and have-nots. And the have-nots are not trying to breach their ambition through violence. Uh, sorry, and the have-nots are trying to breach their ambition through violence and ultimately worshipping a hollow god, which is money. So therefore, it's literally an exploration of the flip side of the American dream. Now, I think that's a great read on some noir, but I, I don't think that holds true for all noir. Like, for example, I don't think you could apply that to say 
Sin City or the Ice Harvest or, you know, any number of neo-noirs, let yeah. alone something like, you know, some of the classic noirs, although certainly many of them. But um, but at the same time, just hearing that quote and knowing that that's kind of his mindset when it comes to the genre makes me really, really want to see Nightmare Alley. So no, it's really good. And also, like. When the Kate Blanchett's character gets introduced, so she's like the psychiatrist that you get in the second act. All of her shots are very noir like it's very like half the face is hidden under light and she's smoking and you can see the like the smoke of the cigarette just reflect in the room and like the movie changes halfway through to be very much a noir where the beginning is yeah, more yeah. just like vagabonds and circus folks and how can we grip the audience <laughs> out of a couple bucks like it goes from being super dirty to being like super prestige and it's done immaculately but that's also the story itself yeah, and I and by no means am I a noir expert. In fact, what? Um, but didn't you spend a whole month watching noirs? Shouldn't you? Well, be I, I watched a bunch of them, but yeah, but I mean, like that's that's part of my thing. Is like I still there's for as many I've seen, and I've seen a, a a good amount of them. There's tons that I haven't. But you know, to me, noir is a lot like a giallo film, where it's kind of a nebulous thing. Like yeah. there, there's a lot of different ways, you know, and we ran into that with Malignant, you know, where everyone's like, oh, this isn't Giallo, you know, it's like, well, Giallo is like a really wide sweeping term. Yeah. And so is Noir. Noir can be applied to all kinds of stuff. Um, I think when I hear Del Toro's sort of um, his personal definition of it, I I I think it's hard to deny that 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 reasoning is probably what the subgenre was born out of. Um, you know, like the early directors sort of dabbling in that style, I think were in many ways disillusioned with uh, the status quo and, and then the Hollywood way of movie making. And it, it also came from like German expressionism and stuff like that. Like it, it it's born out of, you know, to say it's an inversion of the American dream is pretty apt, but at the same time, like some of the best noir came from other countries and had nothing to do with America. <laughs> you know, like at some of like Fritz Lang's early work, like is some of the best noir there is. And like it's but it but there's a lot of parallels to that dis disillusionment just in a different country. Paul, this um, is a recent movie that you caught uh, going to your point. Would you consider M a noir in its own way? Yeah, I would. I would too. And I it does not would. fit the Del Toro definition even remotely. Right, of course, yeah. But it but it but it fits you know a, a feeling, right? And and that's certainly yeah, yeah, go ahead. I agree with you. Yeah. And 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 there are stylistic components that you know, like he says, oh, it's not just Venetian blinds. I'm like, yeah, but that's a part of it. You know, it's like, it's okay to say it, that. It can be. Right, it, right. You know? it, it doesn't have to be in there, certainly. But like, that's there the thing, is a certain jolly, like totally, it's a feeling more than anything yeah. to me. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. More than more than a list with a, a series of, you know, uh, um, things that need to be checked off. You know, I. Uh, yeah. And now I really want to see a jollo noir sort of genre well film. the 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 girl who knew too much or evil eye is kind of oh large. god yeah yeah one of my That's favorite uh mario bava films 
All right, so Paul, you and I need to see Nightmare Alley. Um, yeah. Also, it's named after me, just in case y'all are wondering. <laughs> You beat me to it, I swear, as I said it Ellie, out loud. that I was needs like, to be Ellie. your Halloween name. I was getting ready to say that, yes. <laughs> no, but straight up, so one of my really good friends who um, started a film series well before he knew me, but he called it Nightmare Alley based on the original film, and then I came into the picture and I was like, oh my God, you should change it. So it's spelled like my name, and he's like, you need to fuck off with that. Yeah. But that was like an actual thing in cinemas, and I was like, hey man, this is the perfect opportunity to capitalize on my name. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and he's still very much like, no, how dare you? <laughs> you don't get to own it just because it sounds the same. <laughs> but you should. You but should. I should. Agreed. I should copyright it and no one else can use it. Paul, how about your number nine? Sure. Uh, so nine, kind of continuing down the slightly less, slightly lesser known. This one got like a little bit more play, at least in the film Twitter world, than something like Till Death did. Um, but I still think it's vastly underseen, uh, especially when I bring it up like outside of horror film circles, like a lot of people haven't heard of it. Um, but I really loved it. It really caught me off guard. Um, and this was one that I had heard about for a couple of years, but Jinx, you were actually the one who kind of pushed me to, to finally take the dive and, uh, uh-huh. and watch it. Um, and this is the stylist. <gasps> I love the stylist. Oh my god, yeah. Jill life. This yeah. is way, uh, way higher on my list, but uh I love that you're mentioning it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, I I want to preface like this particular top 10, especially. Um, as I said, like I I considered this year to be really a, a stellar year. So if a movie's on my top 10, it's kind of like as good as being top five you know what i mean like anything on this list is a movie i really loved and think that everybody should watch um and so i think like you know on a different day this could be my number three you know what i mean it's just it it happened to fall here when i wrote it but um yeah uh i always pronounce her her name wrong but uh jill gavars gizian is that right yeah i just did an interview with her and a lot of it was me apologizing for not knowing. Yeah, last yeah, name. I'm sure she I've gets that added a lot. syllables to her name before. <laughs> like, I, I always feel bad. Um, <laughs> I think it is Gevargisian, maybe. Gevargisian. Okay. Gevargisian, I will. I will. Yeah. I will try. Um, but anyway, yeah. So this was based on a short film that played at Fantastic Fest, um, and then I believe she did a Kickstarter um, to sort of uh, raise the funds to make uh, a feature. And it's starring uh, Najara Townsend and Bria Grant. Um, and it concerns uh, Claire, who's a hairdresser. And she's very methodical, um, kind of keeps to herself, very good at her job. Um, but it's one of those films where it's sort of about, you know, not only her staggering artistic ability with her art, which is her hairdressing, but this sort of underlying homicidal lust for the people's worlds that she's sort of stepping into on a daily basis. Um, And the film, what what I think makes the film such a success isn't necessarily even uh, the interesting plot dynamic and her relationships with the characters and one fucking killer ending. 
Um, <laughs> but it's it's more the fact that this movie just is, again, like a masterclass in ratcheting up dread. Um, every moment of the film, you're just on the edge of your seat, sort of concerned about what's going to happen. And it's all just, it's so expertly crafted and put together. Um, and the tension is so, like, you can just cut it with a knife. Um, I was I was amazed. I mean, it, it really, and the, the performances are all wonderful. It's, it's a really tight, it's like a 90-minute movie, which I love. You don't see a lot of those anymore. Um, so it just, it, it gets in, it gets out, it does its job. Um, it has a spectacular Blu-ray from Arrow. Uh, so it's got a really nice boutique label oh, release. Yeah, it does. Um, and yeah, if I feel like this is a criminally underseen movie, um, and I I really want more people to discover it. Yes, everyone, please go out and watch it. Like it's so great. Jill is just like one of the most amazing humans I've ever had the privilege of talking to, and like she's so nice considering that I was hammered drunk when we met and I just like yelled at her in a bathroom (laughs) like oh my god your your film is playing and my film over here she this girl I know runs a film festival for women you guys should talk why aren't you talking like give me your information (laughs) a lot of people don't know that that's how Allie actually made her way in the hammer pub too (laughs) uh it's a lot of drinking and her just shouting at Paul and I until uh it works I mean it does it gets the job done and it was great because, like, uh, I talked to my friend and I was like, hey, we're having Jill in the show. She was like, oh, my God, you know, you met Jill, right? And I was like, I've never met her before in my entire life. She's like, nope, Fantasia, a bunch of years ago, the short film was playing and you were drunk, just yelling in the bathroom. And I'm like, yep, that, that checks <laughs> out. And she found a business card where she had, like, Jill wrote all of her information on the business card to be like, no, come to our screening. It's at, like, 5 o'clock at this place. And, like, here's my info. So she's a hustler. Everyone should get the movie because of how amazing of a human Jill is and how great the movie itself is. Allie, could you take a second and let listeners know about your other show uh, that they would listen to that interview on? Oh, yes. So the Infamous Horror Podcast Network is now a brand new thing. And I host a, a show on it called Let's Scream. With me and Mode Me Show out of Montreal, where it's like two Canadian girls who love horror talking to other women in horror to promote and be like, you know, fuck the the patriarchy. Right on. (laughs) And it's honestly, we're only like, I think two episodes have been released. And then in later this month, we did an episode with uh, Gigi Salguerero, who made like Bingo Hell and Culture Rock and that's an amazing interview and it's going to be great. We have like a bunch of really solid interviews lined up, which is some really amazing women in the horror industry who deserve way more credit. That's awesome. I, uh, I really want to see more from her. I loved her short film. Uh, that was, it was based on the, uh, the novel was like murder con carne or something like that, but it was the wrestling horror short, right? Oh Yeah. Which is fantastic, and I kept waiting for her to get the opportunity to make that into a full feature, or perhaps adapt the book as a feature, and uh, it's a shame that it hasn't happened yet, but I have my fingers crossed, so. Um, I absolutely adore the stylist. Uh, Spoilers, it is my number two uh, of the year. It's my number eight, so I feel you. Like, 
I love that we got to talk about it, and that's on all of our uh, lists. I reversed. I reversed Bromley'd both of you. Elmore. <laughs> I love it. Um, no, I absolutely adore the film. It uh, it ticks a lot of boxes for me. Uh, like what I like out of horror, mainly because you know I'm such a huge psycho fan, and there's something. You know, we were talking just before we started recording about this season of uh, Dexter as well. And I don't know. There's something that I love about watching monsters try and be human and do their best and try and get the monsters off their back or make a friend or, you know, kind of fight against their, uh, you know, their darker impulses. And definitely the stylist i think belongs to that and there there how many times throughout the course of the movie are you just hoping and praying that she can turn a corner and maybe pull out of her you know that the horrible cycle that she is in and you think that maybe this friendship that she strikes up um is going to do it and even though deep down you know that it's not going to happen and that we are barreling toward a tragic ending uh, we just don't know you know who that ending is going to claim. And Paul, I agree with you. Like the ending is fucking superb, especially in the way that oh, it yeah. plays with mm-hmm. not only our expectations, but that final walk involving a specific character and the fact that they cheat just a little bit yeah. where it's like, okay, Oh my God, no, it's, it's one person. No, wait, it's another Wait, You know what the yeah. hell is going on? Yeah. Just brilliant. My God. And, well, um, and the the monster makes a friend thing like th- this feels like a like a lucky McKee kind of thing like in yes. a way too like like it, there's a lot of May in this movie, um and and I mean that is the best possible compliment because that's such a unique creative voice that is not super present in modern horror, so we need more like this and um, so I'm excited to see what what Jill does going forward. Well, and one of the things that I loved about it, too, and I don't think I talked about it at length when we discussed this movie before, but I love, like, Najara Townsend's performance in it is fucking superb, you know, as the lead. She's amazing. But Bria Grant is marvelous, too. And I love that their friendship, and, you know, usually movies like this, the behavior of our lead, you know, the monsters were, uh, usually the way that people deal with them is either to just look past all their eccentricities or laugh them off or just shun them entirely. And I love that the relationship in this movie, that friendship is more complex than that, where she, you know, the friend does call her on her bullshit, but she still cares about her. And so there is, you know, it's, and she probably ultimately shouldn't given where things go, but I, I, I just love the complexity of the movie. It is 90 minutes. It could have been a simple slasher story, something like maniac, you know, but instead, like, I, I just think there's so much depth there. And I think she packs in so much into a scant runtime, including just far more heart, I think, than you would expect out of a story like this. Um, I am very curious to see if she'll wind up doing any follow-ups to it. Uh, I don't think the movie needs any, but I would be there for them. You know what I mean? I would a thousand percent yeah. be there for them, especially learning that... Uh, Jill herself was a hairstylist and just hearing her say like once you're in like a hairstyling salon for long enough you start thinking of different ways to kill people and I'm like I could see that (laughs) (laughs) on how to kill people very believable (laughs) all right so Paul that was your number nine the stylist yes good deal so we're on to my number nine which is um 
honestly, I did not expect it to make my list. And when I was going through everything, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to catch up for it. It is not. <laughs> it is not Halloween Kills. It's Candyman. How- <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, God. No. Uh, you know what? I, I some people would probably give me hell for putting this movie above either of those, but uh, I'm, I'm doing it. <clears throat> my number nine is wrong turn. <gasps> I love okay. the new wrong turn movie. I liked it too. Yeah. I love the, the honestly out of all of the movies that I watched this year, wrong turn was probably the biggest surprise because I, you know, we're what we're six or seven movies deep at this point. I, I, there are so many sequels that I haven't seen because the quality really starts taking a dip after. after Joe like, yeah. Almost like after two, you know, yeah. Wrong Turn, just a blast. Wrong Turn 2, so much fun. Like and then from that point on, it's just kind of like, eh, you know. And um, so the fact that they were doing a reboot, I, I don't know if it played theatrically anywhere. If it did, it was probably in the midst of COVID, so it doesn't count. Uh, more on that later. And, um, you know, so I'm going to go ahead and count it as a directed Blu-ray, directed DVD release. And I just... I had practically zero interest in it, but I picked the damn thing up anyway, and I popped it in and five minutes in, I was like, oh, this is, this is something different. This is not a cheap, like, let's run through the woods and stalk and slash and all that nonsense. Like this, this feels like a honest to God. And look, I love a stalk and slash in the midst of the forest movie as much as anybody, but there was something about this that felt more weighty than that. And ultimately I, some people have complained that the film has one too many subplots or that it runs too long and this and that. And I, I understand that, but honestly, it never felt too long for me. It was always entertaining. I was always engaged. And honestly, with the various subplots and how they come together, it reminded me of – you know what it reminded me of? It was kind of like reading a leisure horror paperback from like 15 or 20 years ago. Like that's what it felt like to me. Like it, it felt kind of novelistic in its approach. Um, fantastic performances across the board. Uh, the director shot the hell out of it. And I, I, it's, it it gives you everything that you would want out of a wrong turn movie, but it also piles in so much more. And it goes to some really, really interesting places with some of the choices that the characters make where it ultimately winds up. I, um, I, Again, I was just so surprised at how good this movie wound up being. And, you know, it, it came out relatively early in 2021. And here I am nearly a year later still thinking about it. So uh, I don't know. My hat's off to it for being as damned good as it is. I fully agree. I think the new Wrong Turn movie is super great. And, like, I am one of the few people who has supported that franchise all the way through, even the not-so-great later ones. I'm still like, yeah. Give me more wrong turn movies. <laughs> <laughs> but this one was so good. It like it stopped having that weird backwoods inbred kind of vibe to it and had just a weird terrifying vibe of people who just wanted to be left alone and then you fuck shit up with them and now the, you know they have to make you their bride. <laughs> and like you said, th- this was the first one that felt like a I mean, no no offense to the Wrong Turn franchise, but it's the first one that felt like a real movie. Yeah. For the first, like, since, yeah, like, since Joe Lynch made his. And 
it's a shame because this is another movie that got kind of a bad like a, a, a shitty release because it was supposed to be theatrical and should have been and it was going to get released in like early 2020 and then but like before obviously like just like all the movies that got screwed over by the pandemic it got like pushed they're like oh we'll push it back we'll push it back we'll push it back and then in 2021 it got like a one night only theatrical release and then it was dumped on blu-ray and that was that Ooh. and i think that a lot of people just assumed it was another shitty DTV wrong turn movie. You know, like, I, I think like, oh, well, if that's the release it's getting, it must not be very good. Because when I got it, because, yeah, like you, I'm sort of a completist. Like, I was like, okay, new wrong turn. I have nothing better to do. Let me pick this up and watch it. And it blew me away. I mean, and I, I was shocked at how effective it was and disturbing. It is a disturbing fucking movie. Like, the stuff in the caves... Oh yeah, very fucked up. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I really liked it, and um, yeah, I I hope more people go on to discover it and give it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Allie, your number eight, which I believe you already said was the stylist. It was the stylist. Shout out to to Jill once again. You're wonderful and amazing. All right, so Paul, we are on to unless Allie, do you have anything else to say about the stylist? Just that it's great, and everyone should watch it and make Jill just a very prominent female director of horror films. Mm-hmm. Let her make her remake of Texas Chainsaw that I'm pretty sure she wants to do. Oh, I would. <gasps> she wants to do that. Texas Chainsaw. I'm speaking for her, and she's probably not agreeing with this at all. But I'm like, no, no, you should remake Texas Chainsaw. I think you'd. No, she should. It. <laughs> she should if anyone would, would so understand i mean that's the thing that all of the well, not all of them but that's the thing that most of the texas chainsaw movies get wrong is leatherface's character like yep. very few sequels understand him and i think if anybody would it would be jill you know what she would do i think she would out, out of all the scenes and I, I shouldn't be speaking for her but i'll just let me frame it this way this is what i would like to see from her and paul it goes to what you were saying but there is a moment in the first movie that uh, i don't think any of the sequels have ever touched on this and again paul to your point but there's this amazing moment in the first film where after leatherface has i think he's already dropped somebody on a hook he slammed a, a a sledgehammer over somebody's head you know he has appeared as this brute force and this terrifying figure and they have this moment where he just goes to his room and he kind of plops down on his bed and he's kind of freaking the fuck out like yeah. where the hell are all of these people coming from yeah what the hell is going his on space. yeah like and he's he's scared yes yeah. and i'm like i think what i would want to see from her if she did a texas chainsaw is tap into that you know oh, yeah. like i think she would kill it because you know she would kind of be playing the same notes that she did in the stylist but just with a completely different character uh but my god i think she would kill it she yeah. would cry so hard. Love that. Paul, uh, what is your uh, number eight? Okay. Um, number eight. So number eight's a movie I saw very recently. Um, so, you know, I might have a bit of recency bias, but um, this movie is not going to be for everyone. <laughs> uh, but it, I have a very weird sense of like i sometimes i love an incredibly nihilistic movie 
um, that just really taps into uncomfortable family drama, but in a pitch black comedy kind of way. Um, and this movie really scratched that itch for me. Uh, and it is Silent Night. I knew you were going to say it. It's fucking good. I just watched it a few nights ago. I loved it. I loved this movie. Um, it's Jinx. Have you seen it yet? Uh, so I got to say, I don't know if it will wind up on the recording. Uh, I lost you for about 20 seconds. <gasps> you oh. son of a bitch. Do I need to like repeat so what I said? <laughs> uh, you might. And I'm so sorry. Remember. Okay. Well, basically I'll just go back and say, um, so, uh, yeah, so this is a movie I, I just saw a couple nights ago. Um, it is silent night. Uh, so basically, um, this is a film that concerns uh, a family getting together uh, for Christmas. Um, it's you know family and friends. They're going to have dinner together. Um, and I, this is a hard movie to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, Jinx, do you, have you seen it or do you know anything about it? Um, I've seen the trailer. I have not seen the film. Do you know what it's like? If I said, hey, what's it about? What would you say? Uh, I would say it concerns a dinner party thrown by a group of people uh, at a time when it appears that the world is ending due to a wave of. Okay. All right. Is it like right. mist or gas or. That's, okay. That's that's enough then. All right. Yeah. So so I didn't even know that's what, what it was because I didn't watch a trailer. Um, and if you watch, I guess, you know, if the trailer gives that away, I guess I don't feel bad giving it away. Cause it, it does get revealed within like 20 minutes of the movie starting. But, um, yeah. uh, if the first 15 minutes really just feels like an uncomfortable family get together that like, obviously something else is up, but you don't know exactly what it is because the movie plays it really nonchalant. Like it, it the way you kind of find out that the world, yeah, the world's going to end. Um, so spoilers <laughs> for this movie a little, um, because that is the general thrust of the film. And this is people getting together one last time on Christmas to spend that day together with those they love, because they know at the end of this day, they're all going to die. Um, and without going too deep into it, it's the kind of movie that uses that premise to sort of face the the pettiness of family squabbles and interpersonal relationships, which I'm always there for, um, while at the same time drawing these like really deep, dark, existential questions about like humanity's inevitable fate at the hands of like their own callousness or their their own ineptitude. And especially their own sense of greed. Um, it's like really funny. It's really depressing. It's kind of exhausting emotionally at times. But it is one of the best movies I've seen all year. Um, I I debated putting this much higher. And ultimately, because I saw it so recently, I decided to put it slightly lower on my list. But like there was a time where I considered this for like two or three. Like, I really, really like this movie. Now, I want to preface this by saying, like, I watched it with my wife, and she hated it. 
Um, but, but she hated it because the movie was so effective. It made her feel horrible um, because the movie does its job so well. And coming in the wake of the pandemic, um, I mean, Jesus, there's, I mean, part of it is like, you know, they're all going to die. There's children in this movie. So like the parents have to like prepare their children to die and, and basically justify to them why they're doing like why this is needs to happen. Like, well, you know, we thought about whether, how we could handle this. And this is really the only, like the, the idea that you'd have to sit down with your kids and have that conversation like is such a terrifying thing as a parent, especially like considering the couple of years we've just been through and the conversations we have had to have with our kids. This movie really struck a chord, I think, with her. But I think that also speaks to the raw power of its screenplay and how well it's doing its job. Um, and the ending, <laughs> the ending's, gr- I think, great. Uh, and it's, it's, yeah, it really delivers on the promise of what the movie is in a lot of ways, while at the same time, drawing some broader questions about um, humanity and its, its ultimate fate, but uh, yeah, silent night, great movie, very dark. Definitely recommend. I need to see it. Yep. Good deal. It's not on Blu-ray yet. (laughs) Yeah. I saw where it was streaming. I was going to ask, it's funny that you mentioned like some of the conversations you've had recently. And I was wondering like, does this feel like a movie that was maybe born out of the pandemic? Like, is it sort of so I so I'll be honest, I have no idea if it was or not to me. To me, this feels much more well, and it is much more a response to climate change than it is the pandemic. That's what it's attacking. But it's better Um, than the happening is what you're telling me. Well, and and funny you should say that, Jinx, because and this might sound like I'm trying to disparage the film. I'm not it basically has the same premises happening, which is that the earth is fighting back. Uh, that the earth, I mean, that's essentially what's happening in silent night is that the, I mean, we're, we're already this far and this isn't, again, this doesn't really spoil the movie because you find this out very quickly, but essentially what's happening is uh, the earth is emitting giant clouds of gas that when you breathe it, you die a, like unimaginably terrible death. Like, like if you breathe the, the second it hits your nostrils, you like your insides melt out of your orifices and it takes a while for you to die. So it's not like a quick death. So that's why, so the government, and there's no way to stop it. There's nowhere you can go. There's nowhere you can hide. And it's just systematically happening all around the world until it's going to cover the whole world. And this is happening because of all the shit people have done to the environment in a, in a broad, vague way. In a lot of ways, like it's, it's also similar to don't look up where it's sort of about, well, people fucked up so bad that we're all screwed anyway. And the government's response to that is, welp, uh, the best thing we can do is we're going to issue out these pills. So here's these pills. Oh, take wow. them at this time. And essentially humanity is going to commit mass suicide because that's better than dying by way of this gas. This is, this is the best possible thing for us. So they all decide to do it on Christmas 
because you know that's close to when it's happening and it's going to be before the gas hits so they all just like the government say at this at 11 p.m everyone take these pills and we all die and so you know they have to like tell their children you know like this is what they're going to do and it's just but but essentially if you think about it again that's kind of what Shyamalan's movie was doing the earth fighting back yep. against our you know the 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 things we've done against it it's just this movie does it so much better and it's because it, it's not about that it's about the human like the interpersonal human drama at the center of it the the gas stuff is there but like we don't it, it's not really explained we don't really dive into it because we don't need to just like you know in a zombie movie we don't need to know why they're zombies we just need to know they're there and what is the response to this and, and how do we have to navigate it? So Silent Night handles it much better. It's not a disaster movie, but it but the background of it is. All right, I'm sold. I'm, yeah, I'm watching great. it this weekend. It's I really think. good. Yeah, I, I really liked it, <laughs> which sounds weird because it's not a pleasant movie. But I it I don't know. I just really liked it. <laughs> can't explain i have a i have a dark like shannon was like you liked that and i was like i loved it (laughs) all right um my number eight is a movie that i was really looking forward to in 2020 and um unfortunately because of the pandemic it was delayed and uh eventually it came out in 2021 uh with a streaming option and um it was one of three movies that I was anticipating like that. And um sorry to report that this is the only one that really kind of paid off for me. Uh, but it is St. Maud. St. <gasps> Maud is so good. I love St. Maud. And I'll just say now it's higher up on my list. Okay, cool. Cool. Uh, we can go ahead and all dive in then. I, um, I'll just say, you know, we've talked about it at length on this show before, but um I, I, I love the movie. I really do. I, I, I love the lead performance. I love the, uh, the, the sort of journey that she takes over the course of the movie. I love how it wrestles with religion in a, in a very smart way, I think. And in a way that's not, it doesn't seem to be taking religion as a whole to task so much as it does like religious extremism and the way that it does that through the lens of like, you know, viewing it all through this character who is, um, how would you describe Maude? Um, she is a sympathetic character and yet at times like her worldview is, I don't know. There's a wonderful balancing act. I think the movie does uh, much in the same way that stylist does, uh, albeit, you know, they're two wildly different characters and in some ways, in some ways I think they're oddly, kind of similar but I, I i think mod is kind of fascinating in that you know this is the character that we're meant to be sort of hovering over and experiencing the events of the movie over her shoulder and yet at times she is deeply unpleasant and uh so the movie is kind of challenging in that regard and um just as a portrait of a young woman who's kind of you know traversing her own course into uh, madness maybe you know there's kind of a question mark there but um that alone i think would have been fascinating enough but then you get to the final 15 minutes which has maybe one of the best jump scares i've ever seen in a film 
Like just period. I'm not talking 2021. I'm just talking fucking period. I jumped a fucking mile uh, <laughs> when this moment happens. And the movie goes from being like this, you know, quirky, strange, at times oppressively dark uh, kind of indie drama to a balls to the wall horror movie in its own way in the final 10, 15 minutes. Uh, and it just, it feels like a fucking sledgehammer hitting you over and over and over again, that ending. And, uh, but in a way that doesn't really betray everything that's come before, it feels like ultimately by the time you reach the credits, it all feels very inevitable. And I mean, that's, that to me is one hell of a storytelling trick that the filmmakers were able to pull off. Um, I think it's fantastic. I, I think it was worth the wait. Uh, I wish I'd been able to see it on a big screen. I I, I love it when A24 champions these smaller mm-hmm. movies uh, and throws them on 2000 screens so that you can watch movies like Hereditary and Midsommar and The Witch. And it would have been nice if we could have seen Saint Maud that way. But unfortunately, this movie's... Uh, this movie's course was, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. But nevertheless, we did eventually get to see it. And I think it's one of last year's just very best movies. Fully agree. It was amazing. Yeah, I, um, like I said, it's, it's uh, so I guess I'll just say it now. It's five on my list. So it did make my top five. And it's, you know, for me, it, it took a weird kind of journey in my brain. Um, when I first saw it, I was like, I like that. I think this is really good. It maybe is a little overhyped. Like, I think I texted you jinx that it, like, I was like, I wish that I had seen that without two years of hype. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's, it's yeah. such, um, the problem with a movie like St. Maud, especially if it has a lot of hype behind it is it's a quiet movie. It's, it's not a, you know, hype lends itself well to big, crazy movies. And this is not one of those. Um, this is this is something that you have to like let it kind of wiggle its way into your brain and sit there for a while. And as I sat with it and as I thought about it more, it grew in my estimation. So like had I written my top 10 like a week after I saw it, I don't even think it would have made my list. Now, like a month and a half later, it's number five. <laughs> Which is so funny to me, but that's how I—that's how weird I am. Like it, movies, just kind of hop around in my brain in terms of how I like them, and I think what really sells it for me—I mean, one, uh, like you were saying, Jinx, this movie ultimately is just a very contemplative character study about this mod character and her. I mean, she she is an ill woman. She is not well, <laughs> and you know, I, I well, I I don't think it's a takedown of of organized religion i do think it's showing how just like someone can um sort of use alcohol or drugs uh to kind of self-medicate you know if 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 they have issues people can do that with religion um they they can use religion to self-medicate bigger problems that need to be addressed in bigger ways. And this is a woman in need of help. Um, and she doesn't get it. And there's one person in her life that kind of tries to help her, which I thought was a really interesting addition to the film. Like her friend from like her nurse friend who still sort of makes an effort to be there and kind of hang out with her. 
albeit maybe in a more surface way, um, because this is somebody who recognizes that she's not well, um, but is trying to be there for her socially, um, which isn't really enough. Uh, And I also thought it was fascinating that she's juxtaposed against a woman who's, you know, dying from uh, cancer or something along those lines, who was a very extroverted person who lived an exciting life, um, who rejects all of the puritanical beliefs that Maud, you know, completely embodies and, you know, forces those two to interact together. Neither of them are sort of happy with where they've ended up. And yet there's an opportunity for Maud to help this woman with her beliefs because she's at a place in her life where she needs something bigger to believe in. And when Maud ultimately fails to connect with her because she's sort of unwilling to meet her halfway, that's when she's kind of in her eyes forced to double down as opposed to back away. Um, And I, and I think that that journey is really relatable. Like if you've ever known somebody who's suffered, you know, mental things, impairments, whatever you want to call them. um, I, I think it's just something that's, it's sad to watch play out. Like you said, it's inevitable. And where it all goes is grandiose, but the final moments of the film bring it back to a very grounded, very disturbing place that I think makes kind of the whole movie work. You know, as dark as it is, I think that last moment is important to show kind of the point of all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think I said extremism earlier. I think maybe fanaticism is more on the knows there but is she still a character that uh, again like would you both agree with me that as unpleasant as she can be at times like you you can't help but feel for her you know it's because you see that at some point in her life she's been led astray you know was that was that solely down to you know sort of her battles with what appears to be a mental illness was that how she was raised was that you know who knows but you just know that she kind of has in her own way, much as, you know, the stylist does hers, like she, she kind of has a monster on her back, you know, and it's, yeah. you can't help but feel for characters like that, even though, uh, <laughs> my God, I, 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 it's funny and I'm not trying to be humorous when I say this, but yeah, the ending, the final shot is chilling in its own way, but, um, uh, even though it's anything but chilling, um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, yeah, marvelous, marvelous, marvelous fucking movie. Mm-hmm. All right, we are on to Allie's number seven. Oh, my number seven was Till Death. So, yay, Megan Fox! Yay, yay! <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe it was Allie. Uh, remind me, I think you are the one who actually brought up mention of that movie first on this podcast. Oh my god, yeah! The second I saw this movie, I had to scream about it because it was just like everything yeah. I from. Everything. I was just like, this is a finally something for Megan Fox to do. Ellie <laughs> yelled at me for like three episodes because I didn't watch it yet. I re- like every time I'd log on, she'd be like, did you watch Till Death yet? And I'd be like, I didn't. I'd be like dreading it. I'm like, I need to get Till yeah. Death. 
Now we're at that with, have you watched One December Night yet? Like, have you watched this Hallmark movie? I I, I know. I need to watch it. <laughs> I have no I idea did what watch you're all talking all... about. <laughs> I did watch a bunch of movies like that, but I didn't watch that. Well, one. yeah, they're all like that. That's they're what... all kind of like that, but, you know. All right, Paul, how about you? What is your uh, number seven? Uh, my number, so uh, my number seven is a little bit more fun <laughs> than my <laughs> number eight. So going back into uh, the fun side of things, um, because this was a year where I needed fun. Um, this is a movie starring one of my absolute favorite people, actually two of my absolute favorite people in horror. Um it was a movie that got talked a lot about. Again, it's like a, a very film Twitter movie, but it it kind of comes and goes, and I don't think it gets a wider reach, and that's why I also think it's important to keep talking about movies like this. Um, this is Travis Stevens' Jacob's Wife. Yay! Barbara or I should say Barbara Crampton's Jacob's Wife, right? Yeah, Barbara- <laughs> Ultimately, because <laughs> she's the one who really got this made. Um, so forgive me there. Um But yes, so this was, um, again, we talked about this at length on the show, so I probably don't need to go too far into it. But uh, what I'll say is I love Barbara Crampton, as I think all horror fans do. Um, Her renaissance in recent years has been just wonderful to watch play out. And this movie, to me was the first time since she's come back into the fold where she really got to show what she could do as an actor. Um, You know, she plays a character that is so multifaceted that goes through such an interesting arc. Um, She gets to be incredibly serious, incredibly introverted, um, you know, and then transition into something so explosive um, while at the same time donning like creature effects makeup and uh, you know, basically becoming a believable monstrous vampire from a repressed preacher's wife who's unsatisfied in every sense of the word. Um, I loved, and especially where she's at just in life, you know, her, her demographic, her age factors into this. You can tell this story was really important to her. Um, it's a movie about, you know, the cost of settling into what's expected and what's comfortable versus pursuing those dreams, which so deeply define us. Um, you know, that when you think about her acting career and how she was dormant for a large portion of that time, and now she's back, I think this movie is just such a great metaphor for for that world and, and, and what an artistic life means to somebody who is inherently artistic. Um, it's provocative, it's gory, it's fun, it's sad. It's, it's, it spans the spectrum of emotion. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a movie I treasure and I adore it. So I think it's uh, one that everyone should watch. Very cool. And Allie, I believe you were a fan too. Is that right? I love that movie. I think Barbara Cameron is amazing. And I think the whole thing is just for something that was quite indie was so good. And it was such heavy hitting. Yeah. And truly the the renaissance that she's having is amazing. I guess it started with um, your next and has just only since gone up from there. Yeah. 
And I do and, love her in the film. I think hers is one of the best performances. That, ah, excuse me. One of the best performances of the year in any film, in any genre. I, I, yeah. I thought she was just fantastic. And Fessenden, we should say that Fessenden was great, too. Oh, um, yeah. And, he was and the great. scene, yeah, the scene where they sort of like have sex for what we can assume is the first time in, in a very, very long time is such an interesting, intimate thing that's really quirky and funny, but also like emotional. And I, I love that they took the time in this crazy vampire movie to have a moment like that. It felt very real and very raw. And, and again, it adds, it lends legitimacy to something that otherwise might feel again, kind of silly at times for what it's trying to tackle. So I, yeah, that, that so many great scenes with Fessenden and Crampton in that movie. Good deal. My, uh, my number seven, I'm very curious to see if it pops up on your lists as well. My number seven is malignant. Oh my God. Mine is number four. Mine is, mine is much higher up. (laughs) Nice. Much higher up. Um, what a surprise this movie was. Um, I, you know, it was James Wan. It was, it was going to be a horror movie. It was going to be an HBO Max release that was also in theaters at the time. It, the trailers, though, I don't know about YouTube, but I was in just because of James Wan's involvement. Like, I knew I was going to watch it no matter what. But the marketing for the movie never really excited me. It didn't look that great. I got to say, and my hat's off to the marketing team for cutting a trailer that didn't give away the film's crazier moments or the big twist or, you know, any number of moments that might have spiced up the trailers, but, you know, might have ruined the experience for us. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if somebody did their job poorly or very, very well in that case, (laughs) but I will say that I, I was very happy the the bulk of the experience was kind of new in a way. You know, I was expecting a riff on, uh, you know, Insidious or The Conjuring or any number of other movies that, you know, Juan has kind of done. And just, you know, I, I was expecting kind of like a greatest hits in a way. And what I got, and we talked about this earlier, but was a utterly fucking mad, like, Neo Jalo that just had me grinning ear to ear the entire time. Uh, how he managed to get an entire cast on the same page where everyone is evoking like, you know, the, those types of seventies jolly that we all love. But honestly, I think the only, the movie's only misstep is that it didn't dub everyone's voices with other actors. Uh, <laughs> if it had just done that one last thing, you know, maybe slap some film grain on there. It would have been a great contender as like the, the, the a feature on Grindhouse 19. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I, I loved it. I, I had so much fun with it. I, I thought it was just pure enjoyment. Um, the, the the murder weapon, the nature of the killer, the big I noticed some people don't really care for the big set piece that that's in the final act in the police station. I don't know why, because I think it's just such a fucking blast. I uh, I that's can't it. even comprehend the idea that someone would not watch that sequence and think it was one of the best things they've ever seen. It's a perfect sequence. Like it's, it's <laughs> fucking per it is there. It, it's a testament to how much fun I had with certain movies this year, that this is not my number one. I adore 
Malignant. I mean, Malignant, it's a perfect five-star movie to me. Like, it is as good as movies get. <laughs> this is Citizen Kane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, keep going. No, no, you're good. I I, I will pass the mic to you to to uh to just uh praise this movie and uh and and give it as much love as you can because it it deserves it. It's just it's so good. It's so 80s VHS tape. It's amazing. And we've already talked about it once. You know how I just like to get drunk and then it costs people and I'm now in their lives after I've done that. <laughs> You're really good at that. <laughs> well, my one buddy who's a writer and director knows this guy who's a professional musician who can, like, write scores for movies and has been in, like, some crazy, like, Canadian rock bands. We all accosted each other, basically, and we wrote a song as if we were writing Malignant the Musical. Ooh. Oh, my God. That's a, that's a thing that needs to go anywhere, exist. But our plan is we're going to write two songs. They're going to be performed. And if James Wan likes it, we'll keep this we'll keep this train going and we'll write a full musical. I I would I want nothing more than for that <laughs> musical to exist. I mean, I would I would pay any amount. <laughs> I'm, I'm down as a producer. <laughs> um, and the guy who's writing the music is so good. And we just kept like yelling lyrics at each other and he would like write out this beautiful like piano and synth That's thing funny. some bass and i'm like fuck off this is is, is this happening are we doing Get the this? fuck are out we... of here this is perfect like <laughs> it felt like oh that God. that episode of it's always sunny where charlie just writes a musical for no reason like yeah. that's kind of what we're doing the, the nightman like... the nightman yes, coming night <laughs> you know does it <laughs> The musical, does it all have to be original music or, uh, you know, I mean, there is that Patti LaBelle song, Eyes in the Back of My Head, that at a certain point would probably be just, uh, you know, it's perfect. Let's a great little needle drop. Right now, it's all just an amazing fever dream that we have millions of dollars and can put on a stage show of Malignant and yeah. have beautiful dance numbers to it. But so, we'll see if we yeah, can get one song done, but I'll, I'll send you what we have. I I would love to hear it. Um, yeah, Malignant uh, is a is a gift to horror fans. Um, Malignant is James James Wan because he made big you know expensive superhero movies. Got a blank check movie, and what he spent his forty million dollars on was like a schlocky DTV nineties video <laughs> store movie, and he did that full well knowing that it wasn't going to make any damn money. He did that for us. He did that for 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 us. It was a gift. Yep. He was like, and, and that is the coolest thing. Any director that's made it big, made good, has ever done for the fans, I think. I mean, this is, and it's so good, and it's so sleek, and it's so clever, and it's so smart, and it's so beautifully realized. And the, and the performances are so on-the-nose perfect with their kind of slightly there's like an aloofness to some of the performances that feels incredibly purposeful to tie into that subgenre. We mentioned the giallo thing, like the, the way he layers in elements of giallo, like particularly the murder weapon. Um, and some of the, what I would call glamor shots of the killer and the weapon are very, <laughs> very, very, 
uh, late Giallo. Like, and that's where you get into the eighties video store Giallo is, is some of that stuff. But to see that stuff realized with $40 million is so glorious. Beautiful. Um, and I, I just, this was a movie that I watched late at night, the night it premiered after having hung out with a bunch of people and drank all night. So I was already like probably six or seven beers deep by the time I press play. You so probably like, got badgered by text a little bit. I that out was, there. yeah. Oh yeah, I did. <laughs> um, I didn't give a shit. It was fine. I, I was just in heaven. Like the experience I had with this movie, I don't know, just made me so happy. So it's my number three. It's number three on my list, which it was it was hard for me to put it there because I I loved it. But there's two movies that I would there's two things I would put above it. But um, there were three things for me that got put above it. But like every ounce was like, just put it as number one. Have whatever you have. I wanted I wanted the balls to put it one. I was like, I just want to put malignant one to put it at one. But But truly, at the end of the day, that uh, movie, like all the the three that I listed as my top three will mm -hmm. not get as much money as malignant will for me. Like, I'll just keep buying that movie. Very true. Yeah, I picked up the Blu-ray, um, mm-hmm. and I will inevitably buy the boutique label release. It will someday oh, get. Same. And I'm sure whoever is releasing T-shirts, I'm going to buy those T-shirts because I got to have one. Hell yeah! That's good shit. Yeah, it was me. I was the one that badgered Paul by text. It, well, of course, it was you. <laughs> I have no regrets. You. You'll, you'll you'll be badgering me later tonight when I'm watching. Fast and the Furious 9 or whatever the fuck number I'm Hey, 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 hey. I, I badger you to watch great things. I love it. I love it. I, I actually look forward to the text as much as the movies. <laughs> it makes them um, fun. Wait till wait you hear I my Fast wait. and Fury cast. Oh, my God. <laughs> <It's gonna start. laughs> I love it. I, uh, I I actually genuinely cannot wait until we record again, uh, like a typical Hammer Pub, so I can hear you rattle off like your thoughts on each of the fashion yeah, series. Yeah, I'll have to rank them. Now that we've I... actually pushed you, I'll have to rank them. Yeah, I can't believe I'm doing it. This is shocking to me. No, that it's you, so that you succeeded. I, you... I will say, Tokyo Drift was the I... shit, man. That was a good movie. It's so good. <laughs> no, but it also it, when you realize that it's not number three and it's actually like number. <laughs> something else it's amazing see i didn't okay i'm so confused like jinx told me something about like the next one goes back in time or some shit i'm like i don't know i didn't want to be like i didn't want to tell you anything concrete about it it's just yeah i'm so confused i'm like wait what you have to you have to know that three is actually like it's five or six because in four Han is still alive six and a half it's six and a half. What? Okay. Because six and a half. What? All right. This, this is in four this series, man. What? Okay. How are you going to like do one and two, which are just like the <laughs> most like studio big budgety movies ever. And then you do this movie and then you get all crazy with the timelines on it. I, I'm so it, 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 it literally I'm in the weeds. Like, it's <laughs> like one, it. two, four, five, six, three. <laughs> Then does seven, it tell eight, you that? Like, does it say like five no, years seven, early? Will, okay, so there's then a Hobson, Shaw and then nine. No, do you have to? Do you just have to figure that out as you're watching it, or does it tell you? No, like, like you have to figure it out. But also because they've been around for like ever, there's like everyone has talked about the order you're supposed to watch them in. 
And I also just did that watch this year. And I'm like, how did I wait so long to watch all the other Fast and Furious movies? Like, I just cannot believe that. Well, and Jinx hinted that Han is like a character in the other movies, which I guess would be a giveaway that it takes place before it. My only my only concern with that is like everyone in Tokyo Drift has flip phones. So how how could you just, that you can't look that closely? Listen, you, yeah, you can't like, everybody you is using just, flip phones the whole time. Just don't if you if you're gonna look that closely at it, like what do you mean that closely. Be There's no, like scenes just, where the camera zooms in on the flip phones and goes from one flip phone to another flip phone as it's going up a mountain. Paul, Paul, Paul look at it this way. You ready? I'm ready. You can still carry a flip phone even today. That uh, it's people. true. I have a cousin and an aunt who both still have flip phones. Sure, like sure. Are, early and Alex, what about Alex, what about every teenager in Tokyo? Would every single teenager in Tokyo have a have a flip phone? Flip, flip, you know, flip they can. Flip you know what? This, you know what? We're, them We're doing this later. We're doing Fast and Furious okay, later. Paul, right, right. I'm sorry. I'm only three in. Yeah, we'll have this conversation. This conversation I, will happen. It, I will say will, this. We'll have a whole episode Allie, just dedicated. We'll do Hammer Pub Fast and the Furious edition. Ali <laughs> mentioned one thing that I hope you didn't pay attention to. Um, please do not look this up. But there is a spinoff. It takes place in between the last two entries. So it's eight, spinoff nine. Do not look up the title. But you know what it is. It was a popular movie starring no, no, The Rock. No, but, it's but, not but like but they he doesn't, hit it doesn't. But he doesn't I because I asked him and he doesn't know the title. And the I title I mean, is a massive spoiler. There's a bunch of, there's like Fate to... of the Furious. Is that? Yeah. No, yes, that's, that's Fate of the that's eight. Eight, Whatever it okay. is. Okay. All right. Oh, Fate. Just... Okay. Ha ha. Okay. I, I <laughs> love the progression that in the first Fast and Furious movie, they're just stealing DVD players. And then yeah, in yeah. Ninth, they're going to space. And you're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you need to. Space? <laughs> I'm just waiting okay. for a horror movie. I, I want a Fast and Furious horror know. film. If they're making a Bring It On horror I was film, say. which, by the way, I could not be more excited for. I am so uh, mad that I can't even audition for it because I was like, I wasn't uh, a cheerleader in high school. Yeah, you'd be perfect. How how can we get you in that movie? Just Becca McKendry, if you're watching this, uh, yeah. I know I'll argue about it a ton, but please let me audition for the love of God. Oh my God, you don't even yeah, have you'd be perfect for that movie. Buy myself out for free. Okay, Allie, you're number six. Ooh, okay. I feel like I should be saying it in like a very sophisticated accent. Like, my number six is a very Arthurian tale of a knight. You're kidding. Oh, I know what this is. Yeah, it's so my, my number six, too. Yeah, my number six is Green Knight. Yes. Because it's just like, it's, it's just so good. Dev Patel fucking crushes it. Like, Joel Edgerton crushes Everyone fucking crushes it. Like I could watch that movie every day and find something new to love it's about. It's a great it. it's a great movie. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, but also it just it feels like it got so much hype and then it stopped getting hype, then it played, everyone loved it and then it stopped and no one talks about it. Mm-hmm. Like it just Yeah, it which is like, weird because it even got a re-release at Christmas. It did. And it just it feels like I don't know if they're like not I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like well, I know, it's, I know they're trying to push it for an Oscar. I know that's like, why it yeah. was re-released. But also, even if they're pushing it for an Oscar, like the amount of 
Oscar buzz I'm seeing on a bunch of movies that might not be as deserving. I'm not seeing like yeah. next for Green Knight. And I'm like, but you're supposed to be pushing this. Like, why aren't we seeing more Green Knight? Like, Dev Patel should get an Oscar for the work he did on this film. Like, it's just so Agreed. He, he's gonna the Green Knight's gonna get snubbed for sure. It's gonna get snubbed for sure because uh, like and truly like okay, it's on my list, but like Eyes of Tammy Faye is gonna and House of Gucci is gonna take all the awards compared to like the Green Knight, which should get one. Like, give it design or best actor or something. Well, it's like, I mean, the best actor of the year should go to Nicolas Cage and Pig, but, you know. Yeah, my number it, two. It, but, he, but, but he won't even be nominated, and that's what's crazy. Mm-hmm. Is like, the, the actual best performances never actually, <laughs> you know, get any real recognition. Um, or no, or even well, like, um, no. but anyway, yeah, no, it's just, you're right. It's crazy that it doesn't get the the attention it deserves and it deserves so much attention and i feel like it got such a huge hype and then the pandemic hit and we stopped seeing previews and then it kind of got released and people like a couple people saw it and they all raved about it and then it went away and then it had like a sorry blu-ray release and it was like but this it deserves so much more like it felt like a january release for something that was released during like the summer yeah yeah on the plus side i got the 4k blu-ray for like 10 bucks on black friday I will say that is the upside because I also got the Blu-ray for Dirt Cheap. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It, it was my number six, too. I um, I, I adore the movie. And it, it is like, I, I know we're not leaning too hard on genre here, but I, I, I feel comfortable saying that it at least dips its toe into the horror genre exactly. at times. You know, there's... There's there, decapitation. There is, you know... Mugging handful of creatures, there's a monster, scenes, some creatures, yeah. a monster. Like, yeah. there are sequences that are just dread inducing. Um, a yeah, no, it's I really wish that. Uh, who's the filmmaker? It's David, uh, is it Lowry? I believe, yeah. Um, yeah, he did. I um, want to see him, ghost story, movie. ghost story, with ghost a... story, which was so damn good, yeah. And he's the only filmmaker that I can think of who does the four by three shooting and it doesn't feel like a gimmick. Like I, I kind of want to see his movies just. I don't know. I thought it worked in, um, in lighthouse. I thought the four by three didn't feel gimmicky to me there. True. 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 Worked with lighthouse. Yeah. But no, I hear what you're saying though. I mean, the green Knight, every creative decision like that he made feels completely organic to that story for sure. Um, I, you know, and this is not an indictment of it being on your lists. I didn't put it on mine because it, it didn't, for me, it didn't feel like it fit my horror list, if that makes sense. But I did really love it. Like it felt more like if I was making a regular, although it didn't make my regular list either, but it was a great year. Um, I, I really liked it. I, I thought it was, it's a testament to this year of how many great movies there are, mm-hmm. um, and it's it is a shame because that is a movie that should take home awards. If awards mattered, it would take home awards. <laughs> a thousand percent. All right, Paul, your number six. My number six. Uh, my number six was in my top five for a while, and it kept like just bouncing out and switching places with like Saint Maud and other movies. Um, but I love this movie. It is kind of like everything i like about 
movies wrapped up into one movie and it's it's you know i've I've talked a lot about some darker movies and some upsetting movies this is a straight up fun fucking movie um it's it's really funny it's really interesting it's got a great cast um it's it's insanely rewatchable and that is josh rubin's werewolves within yes oh this was also on my top 10 but i bumped it but like it's so good like i have a newfound respect for sam richardson especially now that i'm watching veep for the first time and just seeing his characters i just i love him so much sam richardson is a gift he is <laughs> and we gift. should all cherish him and take care of him and put <laughs> yeah. him in things um he made the tomorrow war pretty pretty much worth watching i'd say he was like because uh, he's really good in that movie. I, I don't know why that movie got so much shit. It was fun. Um, anyway, Werewolves Within is very great. Um, there, uh, it's it's basically Clue with a werewolf. It's a bunch of people can find a bunch of people from all walks of life, very different people, disparate people, can find in a sort of like resort hotel type of place in an isolated snowy location people are getting murdered a werewolf is doing it maybe and if a werewolf is doing it or a person's doing it it's somebody in this resort so it's one of the characters so the movie very much concerns itself with figuring out who it is why they're doing it so it's kind of a whodunit um, but you get a lot of gore, you get a lot of self-referential comedy. Um, you know, Josh Rubin's previous film was Scare Me, oh, which well. is is good. And I actually think this movie made me like that movie more because I was kind of like a little lukewarm on it. Um, but having seen Werewolves Within and then I just recently revisited Scare Me because uh, we did a Dead Ringers episode that involved it. Um, and on rewatch, I enjoyed it a lot more. I still, it's, I don't, I think it's, but I think it's like a prototype for what Werewolves Within is. Like, I think Werewolves Within is like an evolution of the comedy and storytelling that's present in that film. Um, and it makes me really excited to see what Josh Rubin's going to do next. I know Jinx wrote a really wonderful article about, um, you know, why he should, why his films sort of prove that he'd be the right guy to take on a new iteration of Darkman, which I totally agree with. Um, but yeah, this movie is kind of just everything I love. I'm, I'm a huge comedy guy. So like horror comedies are always right up my alley. Um, and so like this one just scratched all the itches I had. Uh, so yeah, definitely uh, love this movie. Very cool. I I love it too. It did not make my list, but uh, it is definitely an honorable mention. I love it for all the reasons that you noted. Uh, just the performances, the tone, the fun of it, and um, yeah, also kind of like the it, it is a really fun movie, but it has a really dark heart. And uh, you know, that's one of the things that I sort of uh, delved into when I wrote about you know why he would be you know, a great fit for a Darkman reboot or sequel or whatever the hell he wants to do with it. The reason I did it, um, uh, for anyone who doesn't know out there, listeners, uh, Josh Rubin has been very vocal on social media about wanting to tackle Darkman. And uh, in a weird way, like when you watch Werewolves Within, in in, in many ways, I think he would be a, a really marvelous choice for it. So, uh, so, yeah, I would give it a thumbs up, too. And it's weird, the kind of, I will say one thing, too, 
we talked about werewolves within on this show and at the time i had just seen it and i didn't I didn't at all dislike it. I thought it was a very good movie, but I wasn't completely in love with it. Paul, I think you liked it a great deal more than I did. I had to sit with the movie for a while and think about it and then eventually revisit it to realize that I I do love it as much as I do. And uh, I mean, it feels like it probably should be in my top 10. But again, that's a testament to how great the year was that uh, a movie like that, uh, that I love as much as I do, couldn't even make my top 10. Yeah, I get that. All right. I've lost track. Where are we? You're I had to talk about your tops, your six. My six. My six was the Green Knight. Yeah. So Allie, on to you, your number five. Yeah. I'm gonna pull a fastball and do a non-horror, but still a very relevant movie. The eyes of Tammy Faye had to get into my top ten list. <laughs> okay, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> House of Gucci, you at least prefaced with the murder and the this and the that. Eyes of Tammy Faye. Embezzlement and tax fraud and all this shit. And also, like, have you, like, did you ever watch Tammy Faye growing up like I did? Because it's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to see that movie. I think it looks great. It's honestly, it's so good. I rewatched it, like, three times during, like, the Christmas break because, like, my parents hadn't seen it, so I was like, well, we should watch it. And then other people hadn't seen it. And I was like, well, you know what? Now's a good time to watch it. And Michael Showalter is just an amazing director. I don't know if you're checking out his new show or not, because he only directed one episode that I know so far. But, like, The Shrink Next Door he's a part of. And, like, I'll watch truly anything he makes. But him working with Jessica Chastain on The Eyes of Tammy Faye was just, ugh, it was it was truly everything. And just all the songs from my childhood, which just which just says so much. Yeah, I, I do want to see it. And I, I did grow up with uh, well, I didn't grow up with them, but I was very much aware of the Jim Baker and Tammy Faye thing because of the trial that went on in the mid 80s. And uh, yeah. it was the mid 80s, early 90s, somewhere around mm-hmm. in there. But, hmm. but yeah, yeah, I have to watch. it. I haven't seen it yet. Yes, I broke the non-horror. And this one, I mean, it's got some true crime aspects, but overall, it's just, you know, a movie about keeping the faith. Also, <laughs> I'm like on drink. I love that you're just blowing this up. Like, I think it's amazing. <laughs> it's all right. I, uh, Allie, and I, I was just, uh, it was good natured ribbing because I'm, I'm getting ready to break some rules myself here pretty soon. And, um, yeah, just trying to I'm lay some ground for later on. But, uh, how, I will ask this, Ali. How is Andrew Garfield in the movie? Because that guy's had a hell of a twenty twenty one. I think. Oh my god, Andrew, Andrew Garfield. Like I've always liked him. I thought he was like a, a like a great super uh, Spider Man, not Superman. Um, he is a good. And he, he went on to do like uh, Under the Silver Lake, which I also liked, and um, oh, the one he just did on Netflix, the musical tick, one, tick, uh, tick Tick Boom. Tick Tick Boom is so fucking good, and like. He's great in it. And he's he's truly a presence. And I didn't realize he could sing as well as he could. But like, no, it, he it blew me away. And he's just he's got so much talent in him. And he looks like one of those dudes who like is always going to look like a 12 year old. Yeah. And it's going to work for him because even when they age him up as Jim Baker, like you're you still want to sit with him and be like, well, you're kind of a piece of garbage, but you got such a kind face that I trust. you. And <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I will give money to your weird telethon. <laughs> to your weird, I love it. 
All right, Paul, how about your number five? Uh, my number five we already talked about. It is St. Maud. Yeah, St. Maud. So we are on to my number five, which is uh, how do I pronounce this? Is it? It's Saint either t- disdain, like oh. T- no, no, no. I love the movie. It's the title that uh, that annoys. But uh, it's either Titan or Titan. Um, yeah, it's Titan with an E. Whatever. I've heard uh, it pronounced Titan or Titan. Titan works for me. That, that sounds right. For this podcast. Uh, good old Titan. <laughs> uh, we have talked about this at length, or at least I have. I talked about this movie at length on this podcast before. Um, it's such an upsetting and disturbing movie. It's a horrifying film. And yet, for those things, even, it has so much heart. Um, it's beautifully made. It's from uh, Julia Ducournau, who did um, Raw a few years ago, which is an excellent film as well. Um, Love Raw. I I honestly like anytime I see her name now, like just going off of those two movies, she she has earned like a must watch from me. No matter what she makes from here on out, like I'm gonna be there because. I, I love her vision. I love how bold her storytelling choices are. Uh, I've seen a lot of comparisons to Cronenberg when people are talking about Titan. And yes, I get it. Like, I, part of me, well, I get it. And yet at the same time, it feels a little too easy a comparison to me. It's like, yeah, crash, yeah, body horror. But the themes that she is dealing with in this film go beyond Cronenberg. Like her concerns are her own, I think. And um, I, I, it just makes for an absolutely fascinating tale and one that's Hmm. really thought provoking Uh, again, really, really unsettling. And uh, ultimately, I mean, it's by the time you reach the credits, it, it, it will haunt you a bit. It's a powerhouse of a film. And uh, it, it, it gets pretty much my highest possible recommendation. I say that, and it's not my number one, but I'm telling you, <laughs> like, it is it is marvelous. Uh, anything that winds up in my top five of the year, just go ahead and consider that as, like, th- yeah. this is me considering it damn near a masterpiece. So I'm just yeah. throwing that out there. See the movie as soon as you can. Paul, I don't think you've seen it yet. Am I right about that? Ali, I... how about you? I have not seen it yet, but... It's literally like my whole goal for this week because I got nothing else going on. <laughs> Rock and Paul, you are I, you. You said you were a little on the fence about it. Yes or no? So here's the thing: <laughs> I have not seen it yet. I really want to. It's I have this weird thing with certain types of movies that like because I know this is one that's gonna like be very upsetting and kind of visually disturbing. I have to be in the right headspace for a movie like that. And if I watch it when I'm not, it'll like hurt. It won't be fair to the movie. If that makes sense. Like I won't be in the right mental place for, cause like raw, it took me a really long time to watch raw. Cause I kind of felt similarly about it. And um, cause anything that like, like raw dealt with like, cannibalism and they they do it in a very uh, visceral way so like when i was watching raw like i actually felt like nauseous at times having said that i thought raw was like one of the best movies i had seen like i love i bought the big you know second sight special edition of raw 
it's unopened on my shelf because God only knows when I'll muster <laughs> up the courage to watch it again. But I needed to own it because I love the movie. And I know that I'm going to love uh, Titan, Titan, whatever it's called. Um, and But I just haven't found that moment yet. You know what I mean? Where I'm like ready for it. If I, if I can say one thing about that, if it puts you a little more at ease, um, and this is not me like trying to be a dick and just being like, you'll be fine. Like, you're not going to be fine. Um, <laughs> but unlike, a, you know, at a glance, you know, it, it almost looks like it's going to be as dark and sort of transgressive and just uh, arguably mean spirited as kind of like a Gasper Noe movie, right? Mm-hmm. But there is a genuine sweetness to the movie and there is a heart to the movie that undercuts all of that. So it makes it like, you know, you watch one of his movies and like your fucking day is ruined. You you might as well just pack it in, (laughs) hop in bed early and pray the next day is better. Right. Right. To the way I mean, yeah, it's going to put you through some really, really disturbing, unsettling, like shocking moments. But it's grounded in emotion in such a way that it's, it's not going to leave like a foul aftertaste. Rather, it's going to leave you just kind of pondering what you've seen without uh, feeling like you need a shower right after. So, okay. uh, At least that was my experience with it. Yeah. And I will watch it. It, It's going to happen. I'm just like, I don't know. Right now I'm watching fast and the furious movies. If that tells you where my head's at. You so know, like... in a weird way, <laughs> Titan could be a Fast and Furious uh, movie. If they tried a little bit, there could be crossover potential there. Does Vin Diesel true. come in halfway through Titan and tell her he she's family? Is he... oh, and tell her he okay. lives her life one quarter mile at a time? In a way, she does. <laughs> in a way, she does. You know, that so, doesn't uh... even make sense. <laughs> okay, don't <laughs> into the isms that Vin Diesel puts out into the world. All right. We're family and that's it. Paul, his last name is their family, but then he abandoned, he's the first person to abandon people. I don't know. You have to watch the rest of the movie. This guy's a piece of shit, man. No, it all comes together at the end. Does it? Okay. All right. Like, I'm pretty sure he chose Diesel as his last name. And, uh, I mean, if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know, then um his performance in the first movie told me everything i needed to know <laughs> <laughs> i'll i'm keep i'm gonna watch them all i and i liked and I, the series is getting better i like two more than one and i like three more than two so oh, <laughs> every subsequent film has been better you're gonna love it I'm excited. all right Allie, what is your number four? Oh, my number four uh is malignant and i'm just gonna preface it by saying again if you want to see Malignant the Musical happen, please send me all of your support. Mm-hmm. Like another needle drop, like Drake's back to back. Like, yes, no. I feel like these songs might Nothing. give away a lot. <laughs> you know what? It was on HBO Max and in theaters. That was four months ago. If people haven't seen it by now, if you listen to this podcast, that's I just the- meant like in the musical. Like you don't want to. Oh, well, no, you would have to drop it near the end. Okay. You'd have right. to. Yeah, if you, if you do it after the reveal, then that's fine. I think anybody listening to this podcast and this deep into a top 10 has probably seen Malignant or at least had it spoiled. <laughs> yeah, at oh. this point, like Malignant. I also like, we were going to show it to Chris's kids on New Year's and like I spoiled it for them almost immediately because I have like the least amount of chill, but it still <laughs> terrified them. So it didn't matter. 
All right, Paul, you're number four. Mm. Um, okay, so this movie is a it's a bit of a cheat, so I apologize. Is but, it Halloween Kills? Huh? Is it Halloween Kills? It's yeah. So my top four is just Halloween Kills four times, and <laughs> I'll explain it. But uh, no, all right. So my number four <laughs> is a movie uh, that. I had wanted to see for a while and I just not gotten around to it. And Jinx actually really championed this movie and uh, built it up and, and got me to, to finally hit play. And it blew me, blew me away. Uh, it is the empty man. Oh, it's so which good. I Wait. know isn't 2021. Yeah. That's a 2020. It is though. But no, no, I'm going to no, count. No. Look, look, 2021. If, if we could count, Eyes of Tammy Faye. I think I could count Empty Man. Hey, that came out this year, man. <laughs> because here's the thing. Empty Man got such a bad release. And I didn't see That's it till this bad year. Release. It was a it, January release for something that was so good. It was so good. And it, it man. I, and I think we went, like, really deep on, again, we went deep on this on the podcast. So I won't go, like, crazy. But I love a movie. It, it, it combines a lot of things I really love about horror. Um, plus it has a cold open that plays like one of the best short horror films you've ever seen. Um, (laughs) but it takes like urban mythology, like it's an urban myth movie that turns into sort of like an ancient demonic evil movie, but it also is like, like has this like mysticism to it. And then you also have like a like a, like a police procedural psychological thriller movie happening. It's like this tapestry of a bunch of different subgenres all kind of coalescing into this really provocative and captivating whole. And it's it's cosmic horror, which I fucking love cosmic horror. It it feels Lovecraftian in many ways. Um and while at the same time has like very relatable things about it that feel very human and grounded. So um, yeah, empty man is phenomenal and it it probably out of all the, we've talked a lot about movies on this list on all of our lists that have gotten unfair releases have been treated unfairly, aren't seen by enough people. I think the empty man might be the most criminally underseen of all of them. Although I will say, since um, all those memes have been coming out, but like the CDC says, one of them was like, the CDC says that The Empty Man is an awesome movie. I was like, yeah. This is awesome. <laughs> but you know what? The thing about The Empty Man is, in horror circles, people have heard of it. But if you go outside of horror circles, like, like I've talked to yeah, no friends of mine, like nobody knows what the fuck that movie is. And it's truly because there are no, like the biggest star in that movie is Steven Root. Mm-hmm. And like, he's not that big of a star for those who don't know the deep cuts he does. And I shouldn't say deep cuts. I mean, he's in like office space and he's perfect. And he's in Brooklyn nine, nine. He's like, he's great. And it's, it's, it's crazy that you can't buy the empty man on Blu-ray. Like there's no, there's there. I read that there is a red box Blu-ray. No. So it exists on a red box DVD. It's not even on Blu-ray. It's a DVD. And I know this because I bought a used (laughs) <laughs> I bought a used Empty Man DVD out of a red box just so I could own something. Wow. 
Are you of serious? the movie? Just just that have it's sitting like Insanity. in my collection right now. Insanity. I love I love your dedication. I I yeah. do. I, I like have four bucks, leave. and I was like, how could I not? So. I have to believe it'll get a Blu-ray at some point. It has yeah. to. Also, just while we're on the subject, Till Death doesn't have a Blu-ray release, and I'm like, that yes, seems it does. What? I have it. Oh. I own it. So, Paul, that was your number four. That was my four. What's your four? Okay. It was my number three, kind of, and that's part of why some of my choices <laughs> are going to be cheats. Uh, I love The Empty Man too. It is absolutely a 2021 release. Because anything that was released in 2020 that didn't include streaming doesn't mm. count. Like, okay. if, if everybody yeah. couldn't see it, then no. Like, I say the nay. Um, <laughs> no, I loved it for all of the reasons that you two mentioned. I, I think the movie's marvelous. I'm amazed that there is a horror film that is that good, that was produced at that level, that was a studio film, that had yeah. that kind of money behind it, that has been so... Just, it just utterly like, dumped. Well, it was it was the Disney acquisition. This was another one of those movies that just got completely fucked over when Disney bought Fox because Fox was going to put this out wide. I think that was the plan. It's a twenty million dollar movie. You know, it's not it, it, this. This is the kind of movie that we complain aren't getting made. You know, we're like, oh, they don't make those mid budget horror. But- yeah, you know, they do. This, this is that. We we got one. And now then give it a fucking release. <laughs> they just dumped it, like, as if it was nothing. They sold it to HBO. And I will say, out of all that, like, you're right in that people outside of, like, horror Twitter don't seem to know that this movie exists. But, and even, like, I don't even know that all of horror Twitter has seen it. But no. I will say this. Everybody who has seen it, like... There, you know, we're we're all drinking the same Kool Aid. Like we're all part of oh, the yeah. same cult. Everybody who has seen it seems to love it. So, yep. yeah, that so is true. A, it's it's yeah. going in in like ten years. There's going to be like it, it it's going to be like oh, this is one of the best horror movies ever. It's going to be like one of those movies that people r- will incorrectly remember being popular forever. Like oh yeah, and people have always loved like the thing or something. Rediscover, I think. Yeah, it's it's a cult. It's going to be a cult classic for sure. I loved it. I, I think it's great. Uh, I will note there is actually a three volume comic book series uh, written by Colin Bunn, who is a fucking fantastic writer. Um, the comic book series, I believe they all preceded the movie. The movie itself, I believe, was kind of born out of uh, the studio owning the rights to that and wanting there to be a movie. But the filmmaker that they hired kind of wanted to tell his own story for a while. So he kind of merged the story that he wanted to tell with the mythology that is presented in the comic books. And as a result, I believe the film acts as kind of a prequel to the comics. So if you have seen the empty man out there, folks, and you want more of that story and more of that world, uh, definitely pick up those comics. I will. All right. Number four, uh, number four is a cheat and I don't care. Because this is where we're at, and um, you know, I'm just gonna just gonna, wait. Yeah, it's on my number four. Okay, never mind. Sorry, got lost for a second. <laughs> um, and before either of you can object, I'm just gonna uh, dive right in and say what it is. Um, my number four is three movies. Uh, it is Come the Fear on. Street trilogy. <laughs> Whoa, I, I, wait a minute! I, I, All three of them, and the Empty Man. No, the, no, no, no. That's that's Street my number trilogy three. Trilogy is one as well, but I bumped it to like an honorable mention, but. Props to you for putting it on there. It's a solid trilogy. Like it should be told okay. three parts. 
Can I yes. can I just say I guess I have to reveal this now, which is a little disappointing. The Fear Street trilogy is my number one. <laughs> All three movies is my number one of the year. Uh, so now the pomp and circumstance of that announcement has been has been stripped away. But uh, yes, it is my number one. And I also cheated and put all three as one. I feel all bad. Right, that Bubba, the podcast is done now, so. Yeah, I, I feel bad now. <laughs> the room's the room has been brought down and I'm. Yeah, I'm sorry, everything's but, super uh, awkward again. No, I, come on. I like Fear Street is, like I said, anything that's in my top five, I consider pretty much to be a masterpiece. I absolutely adored this trilogy. Watching these movies uh, consecutively over three weeks in the middle of summer it was just such a blast. It was the most fun probably I've had watching any movie this year. Uh, and watching how all of these various installments kind of bleed into one another, how they tell one big story, which is kind of why I don't feel like it's even that much of a cheat. Is it three movies? Yes. Is it a trilogy? Yes. But it, it does feel like a co- cohesive whole. It is a single story uh, and told in a brilliant, brilliant way. And um, I I just absolutely adored it. Um, I, I think they're all incredibly well made. My, and we've talked about these movies at length before. So again, you know, we don't have to go too deep. But I'll just say that my hat's off to Lee Janiak. I, I think she <laughs> fucking killed it with it. this trilogy. And I cannot wait to see what she does next. I know that all of the horror community and horror Twitter is a buzz about the new Scream coming out. I am too, but I gotta say, I almost feel like for what I want out of like 90s throwback slashers, you know, what I need out of that type of movie, I kind of feel like Fear Street beat Scream to the punch. I'm curious to see if it ultimately wound up beating in its own game, because at this point, I I don't know that Scream is going to be able to top Fear Street, because Fear Street is just fucking perfect. I can't think of a single moment stretched across that what four and a half hours that felt mm-hmm. like a miss and my god what an achievement uh you know to to encompass three entirely different time periods and in a way like three each of the movies feel very much of their time and i, I the fact that she was able to tell one cohesive story but with varying styles from entry to entry and to do so so well and to knock them out of the park each time out. I, I, I honestly, I don't think she's gotten enough credit for what she was able to do. So uh, again, hats off to her amazing set of movies. And uh, I just, I love them so much. And I will say one last thing. It inspired me to go out and start collecting Fear Street paperbacks from like the eighties and nineties. Um, I have a collection going, and um, I'm I'm having a ball pulling together a collection of those. So uh, it's gotten ridiculously expensive, but uh, but I love them. I love the artwork of the originals. So just throwing that out there. Okay, you can't go to thrift stores and find them for cheap. Uh, back in the day, you probably could. Paul has advised me on this that uh, back in the day, you could find like the original paperback super cheap anywhere you went, like used bookstore wise, for only a couple of bucks. But in the wake of the Netflix movies coming out, they're now uh, they're now fetching a pretty penny, as it were. Oh wow! Yeah, no, in Canada, yeah. they're still like two bucks at most at like a Goodwill or a Value Village. Okay, so Allie, I will reimburse you if you could. I will start- and, and start buying up all the ones I see, and then we'll see what you have, and you know, you you are we'll making some light back alley deals. It'll be good. Cool. <laughs> I uh, 
Yeah, no, I mean, God, I don't even know how to begin talking about this trilogy and how much it means to me. Uh, it is by far my favorite movie experience of this year and frankly of probably the last five or six years. Um, it, it, it was everything I could have possibly wanted uh, this series to be right from the moment it opens where you're in a bookstore looking at fear street books, like in continuity of the movie with a different, you know, book mm-hmm. series name. And they recreated fear street books with their original artwork. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is made. So I have, you know, as Jinx mentioned, I have a pretty extensive R.L. Stein collection. I'm a big R.L. Stein guy. Um, I have almost the entire original run of Fear Street. I'm missing like one or two, um, including all of the offshoots and everything else. I have all the original Goosebumps books. I have I I, I have a lot. Um, and I it, this is the I don't know if you guys knew this, uh, but it's the thir- this year is the 30th anniversary of Goosebumps. It is. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of Goosebumps stuff this year which is great. Um, but yeah, so when these movies came along, I was just over the moon for them. And, and the fact that they stuck the landing, I mean, these are not only, I mean, I would go so far as to say, not only was this my favorite movie of the year or three movies of the year, I think it's one of the best horror trilogies ever made. I would put this up there. Honestly, I'd put it next to the scream trilogy. I would, I, I do not think, Like, and I I said that when it first launched and I I was like, I guess I need some time. I've had some time. I think it's, it's, it's up there with that. Like I, I love scream and I love what Wes Craven did with those movies. And I have the same nostalgia for them as everyone else. But like, this is as good as those. (laughs) And in some ways, in some ways it's better. Um, And the reason I say that is, it tell like this is a true trilogy it tells a complete story um one of my favorite trilogies is the back to the future trilogy people love to shit on back to the future part two and sometimes three i think it's one of the best trilogies because by the time you get to the final one you've you've been told one complete story it has a beginning a middle and an end and they all wrap around each other the fear street movies do the exact same thing it's it's just as smart as those movies and we were lucky enough to get them all at once so we didn't have to wait a year between them and then debate about it and have the excitement of going into the next one be kind of lost we were able to experience them all together and really appreciate the interconnectivity of them and see the same cast kind of carry through this full story um just amazing amazing films that make me so happy that i will watch over and over again forever i need a physical release it has to happen if it doesn't happen i will buy a fucking bootleg i don't care i will pay some guy on etsy to make me a blu-ray i need it on my shelf <laughs> like Netflix rarely releases their like yeah. Netflix. Well, and games. and you know what? That means I'm gonna I'm gonna pirate it and have my own. Like that's the thing is yeah, I I, I don't like doing that stuff. But if they force my hand, then I got to do it. Um, but I did order the trilogy vinyl from Waxwork, 
so I, I am so getting good. the big Fear Street trilogy vinyl box set, which I'm particularly excited about. Um, so I will, I am, I am forever going to be giving that series money if possible and watching it over and over again. My absolute favorite movies of the year. And yeah, I love them. Good deal. Allie, how did you, you dug them too, right? Well, I love them. I thought they were like super great and they would have made my top 10 list, but I saw a lot of stuff that I also thought was super great, unfortunately. But they were fun. I want them to keep making it. I love this resurgence in Goosebumps and with Fear Street. And I think that the next generation needs to read these books. Otherwise, you know, we won't have these books anymore. That's the thing. I'm really hoping that those movies were successful enough that Netflix might consider. I don't know. What would you want? Another trilogy or perhaps an anthology series or one offs or. Or I would, what? But I just I know that I want more of what do that the is. do the cheerleader saga. That's what I want. I was to say the cheerleader saga or redo Goosebumps the TV show where they turn the books into just you know twenty yeah. episodes because those. Well, I like, love the I love the Jack Black Goosebumps movie. That was great, and it so was. something like that would be really interesting. Honestly, I'm down for whatever ideas they have that just involve people still watching and loving Goosebumps and the R. L. Stein. Mm-hmm. Because that was my childhood, and I want more people to love it. I wonder if they would ever consider doing a Goosebumps-style movie for Fear Street where Jack Black returns as R.L. Stein and oh. is threatened by, you know, even more genuinely threatening villains, you know, that time around. Well, like, what, they, that... what, they should do, what they should do is make a third Goosebumps movie in continuity with the first two, combining the first two films, the characters from both films. And creating one sort of epic conclusion. Because at the end of the second one, Arl Stein is is sucked into one of his books by Slappy. So he's actually currently captured in continuity with those films. Cause he because Jack Black appears in the second Goosebumps movie, which a lot of people hate. I really loved it. I like it. I like um, Jack. I thought the second movie was great. I, I don't know why people hated it so much. I guess they hated it because they wanted a sequel to the first one, and this isn't really what that is. Cause it's a, a whole new set of characters and it's more of a re instead of like, like the first movie is an amalgam of all of the ideas that goosebumps puts forth. The second movie is almost like if you just adapted night of the living dummy, like if they picked one book and kind of focused mm-hmm. on that and then bathed it in Halloween iconography and brought out some of the elements from the first one, but on a more sort of focused level. Um, I, I loved it. I thought it was really funny. Um, but like the fan reaction to it was like people just hated that movie. Um, but I think like if you did a third film and brought it all together, brought the original cast back, you know, and, and did some sort of epic conclusion, that would be amazing. Make it a trilogy. But I don't know. No, I dig it. All right, Allie, you're number three. <gasps> okay. So the top three was very hard to decide. And it was like, there's, these are all like within 1% of each other. But my top, but my third spot, it has to go to Pig. Like the movie is just, it's so good. Nicholas Case deserves an Oscar for the work he did in it. It's 
grungy and dirty but sophisticated and like i want to eat the food that they eat but i also want to be in his weird presence even though i'm pretty sure you can like smell him through the tv like i just want to (laughs) be in that atmosphere and like yeah it's not horror but like it's a genre film and it's so well acted by just everyone involved that it would be a travesty to not mention it it is uh it will not be making my list it it won't be making my horror list i respect that you put it on yours i will say that it is my favorite film of 2021 like of any genre yeah. period it's my it's my number 2 on my non horror list it's just it's so good it had to make it on all the lists for me cuz it was just like you rewatch it and you can just feel all the emotions. Like there's no one's phoning it in at all in this movie. Yeah. No, pig, pig is a is a perfect, you know, for lack of a better word, it's a perfect animal. It is it is every single performance is Oscar worthy. Everyone in that movie. Everyone. Um the scene the scene where he mentally eviscerates the chef at that trendy restaurant oh yeah is like one of the great movie scenes you know what I mean? it's like one of the great scenes in any movie ever probably one of the scenes that like master classes should be taught yeah about. i'm like holy shit when i was watching it i had goosebumps because i knew i was watching something that was like special i was like this is the real deal like this is crazy it- and he doesn't do it. What's so amazing about him? He doesn't do it out of malice. Like he no. he cuts him open, but then he heals him in the same breath. You know, I mm-hmm. I I think it's you know it, it it's so or it was. I, I I get the feeling that we're starting to move into an area where it's no longer hip as shit to hate on Cage and to make fun of him for some of his bolder choices. Uh, I know there for a while that you know it, it was kind of easy to you know kick them in, but um. Uh, rather than celebrate him, which is what we always should have been doing, uh, even for yeah. some of his movies. One of the great connect. actors, for sure. Yeah. At 100%. And, you know, I, I love it when he goes gonzo. But there are also those times when he, he shows you that he can just, he can stand shoulder to shoulder with the best who ever did it, you know. And watching Pig, I mean, to me, that's 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 the guy who was in Leaving Las Vegas. That's the guy who was in Matchstickman. That's yeah, the guy I, who could that's the guy who's deserving of oscars i'm gonna do last year i did like a cage month where i watched nothing but i think i'm gonna do that again this year and just do different movies i i I watched like 15 or 16 cage movies all in a row and i still haven't even scratched the surface you should time it so that your last you should time it so that the last movie of that grouping is the unbearable weight of massive talent like just build mm. up to that. Build up to his new release. That's a good idea. Yeah, and I still haven't seen um, uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. I still haven't seen. I haven't either. either. It's um, yeah. it sure is something. Yeah. Well, I'll watch it. But anyway, yeah, Pig is amazing. Good yeah, pick. I couldn't not have Pig on this list. Like it's just. That's fair. I'm I glad. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. I, that's. I, I definitely think it's. It's. When you're talking about the best movies of the year, it's worth mentioning. And I could I could see that one showing up on a horror list. I, I know a lot of people would probably, you know, I, like I, I see it. It is super dark. Like. It is. And, and there are deeply existentially disturbing elements to it. Yeah. And so you could you you could make that argument for sure. All right, Paul, you're number three. 
my number three we already talked about it is malignant yeah malignant all right said my piece on that amazing amazing movie <laughs> beautiful movie we don't deserve it no we don't all right my number three is a cheat because it is a tie I, I literally just I, I I loved both of these movies so much, and I wanted to cram an extra My movie. In. So I so I cheated. But it's one, but it's one but here's thing. The thing. Fear Street trilogy. But here's the thing: ties. Come on. Is that yes? It's a cheat, but I do give these movies like equal weight. You know, they is are it, they are is, rated. Is it Cruella? Cruella, um, Cruella, something. You know what? Emma Stone is marvelous in that film. I love Cruella. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ironically to make the case that it is a horror film, but give me a minute. Uh, okay. No, it is The Empty Man, which we talked about. Uh, sure. I adore. I love. It needs more attention. It yep. needs a five-disc Arrow release. Uh, get on that. Uh, rest, wrestle with the mouse if you have to, but get that release out there. Um and we've already talked about it, so yes, The Empty Man is my number three. Mm-hmm. Sharing the spot with it is David Bruckner's The Night House. Oh, that's my number one. How dare you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm running it for everyone. Uh, I feel like one of you is going to run my number one before I get to it, so it's okay. It's I'm I'm waiting for it. But um, no, I, I absolutely adore The Night House. Uh, written by uh, Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski. Uh, it's directed by David Bruckner. That's the same team that's going to be giving us Hellraiser this year via Hulu, I believe. Um, same writers who did Super Dark Times. Uh, same writers who wrote A Treatment for Halloween, which uh, I, I did fucking backflips over. Um, <laughs> and I really wish that it would get made someday. Um, but no, The Night House, I think, is just... a uh, um, a marvelous horror movie. It's it's deeply unsettling. It's scary as hell at times, and uh, it, it, it probably wrestles with grief and trauma better than any recent release that I've seen in ages. And it does so in such a smart way, uh, in such a way that it allows for very dark humor to bleed through in very honest ways. Uh, I know a lot of people reference the uh, the sequence with the. Um, uh, the the mother of the student who's wanting a better grade for her child, not realizing uh, what the teacher that she's arguing with has just gone through. And that scene is amazing. Uh, the entire movie is, you know, as well written as it is, as well directed, as, as great as the film is, as fun as the story is, uh, and as dark and creepy and disturbing as the story is, too. It's anchored by just a fucking powerhouse of a performance by Rebecca Hall. Uh, I think she's absolutely incredible in the movie. And uh, if there were any justice, uh, she would be in the running for an Oscar nod. But we're talking about the same group that didn't even bother to nominate uh, Tony Collette for Hereditary. So I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. But she she deserves that level of attention, I think, for what she does in that movie, which I absolutely adore. I fullheartedly agree. It's my number one movie. It. It's like the movie I saw by myself in theaters when I was going through a hard time and was just like, I felt so seen and then just obsessed over it and had to watch it like over and over again, like bought the Blu-ray. Like Rebecca Hall is such a force of nature. And I haven't seen the movie that she directed yet. That's currently on Netflix, the passing or whatever, but like it's high on my list because if she can deliver this almost solo performance as an actor than her as a director is going to be like, I can't even imagine like, she's just 
so talented and ugh, I just want to like live inside of her brain. <laughs> no, and she's an actor that doesn't seem to get that like we appreciate her. Like it seems like every performance that she gives, you know, she she um She's amazing, but yeah. she's taking home Oscar roles and she's not taking home like, you know, big budget movies. Like she's still in this niche where I don't know if people know what to do with her. Yeah, absolutely. And even when she gets kind of like, uh, you know, I believe she was going to be the big bad in uh, Iron Man 3, which, you know, might very well have teed her up to be in, you know, uh, if not better movies, then certainly bigger movies. Um and, you know, her part was kind of jettisoned oh. uh, at the last minute. And she was kind of written to be, you know, what that character wound up being in the movie, which is just kind of like, oh, hey, there's Rebecca Hall. And oh, there she goes, um, which is a shame because she deserves a damn sight better than that. And I love that the Night House gave her the opportunity to just come in and, you know, uh, wreck me for 90 minutes as a viewer, because, my God. And it does. It wrecks you. Like, I left that theater, like, not knowing how to deal with the rest of my day. I was like, all right, well, I can't go back to work. So I'm just going to sit and just think about this movie for a while and then, like, text people about it because it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I I, I can't wait to see more from that team. Um, there Same. are moments in the Night House, you know, that that feel like Hellraiser without being Hellraiser. So the fact that that same team is now tackling Hellraiser uh, gives me hope for uh, for Hellraiser. For Hellraiser. Shall Hellraiser. we just, every just time we say Hellraiser? Hellraiser? Because is that the new thing? <laughs> Hellraiser. 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 Um, no, I can't wait. I can't wait. I think uh, I think it's going to be fucking fantastic. So, uh, But no, The Night House marvelous movie empty man also a marvelous movie uh in their own ways i think both need uh more attention and uh you know light shown on them so uh if you're listening out there and you haven't seen them for whatever reason get on that all right that was my number three Allie. we're getting down to uh to 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 the finale here we're we're barreling toward the end here what is your number two okay so my number two i'm actually going to defend as a horror movie while the audiences might disagree, they might just call it like a dark movie, a very emotional movie. It is the story of a woman who is unbelievably trapped in a life that she did not want for herself and did not know what she was getting into. But Spencer was so fucking good. And Kristen's oh, yeah. portrayal of Princess Diana. It's a horror movie. <laughs> and like Allie. the scene- with the Alec, plot say and the window, like it's it's a horror movie. <laughs> I agree with you wholeheartedly. Oh yeah, like I, it is. I don't even think it's Terrible. in question. Like it's one hundred percent. Like listeners out there, if you're you're sort of like puzzling over this choice because when you see the trailer or you've seen clips from it, you see what appears to be kind of a stuffy biopic about princess Diana. Understand that it's anything, but like Allie, please tell them like it's, it's 100% a fucking horror film. Can you tell them why without, I guess, spoiling too much? Well, I mean, it's hard. It's not even about spoiling. Cause we all know the whole situation with princess Diana and that her divorce was public and messy and, you know, weird looking Prince Charles was cheating on her with what's her butt Camilla. And they have like, the whole thing was very public, 
but this movie just shows how no matter like they, they obviously the monarchy of britain is so huge that you're always in the public light to the point where you're so unbelievably isolated that like her blinds got sewn shut because she was changing in front of them and a paparazzi could have possibly seen her or the fact that her childhood home was you know a mile away and she kept wanting to walk to it and the security guards wouldn't even allow her to wander the premises at night by herself and she wasn't allowed to just be her own human being because she was so ingrained in this insane monarchy of a family and it has all these just intense moments of sadness and isolation and claustrophobia and you see what she dealt with all that time and the fact that like did she, her and Charles love each other? Probably. But at the end of the day, he was kind of a piece of garbage and couldn't even see the fact that she is suffering so bad and still forced her to be a part of this while she was trying to defy it. And it's just, oh, I can't deal. It's just, it's so good. And Kristen Stewart acts it just so well that it's heartbreaking and breathtaking and sad. And even though these people are like, it's one of those situations where they're so rich, but you feel so bad for them because this isn't what they signed up for. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I I will say this, too. I just watched the movie about a week ago, and uh, it it floored me. And I remember as soon as it ended, I was like, that's, that's kind of a horror film. And I don't know why I didn't think to put it on my list, but it definitely deserves to be in uh in a top 10 certainly uh Kristen Stewart is fucking incredible in it and so, I will say the filmmaker I have not yet seen their um uh Jackie which this movie appears to be in many ways kind of a mm-hmm. weird companion piece too so I need to get it on is. that I think it had um strong black swan vibes for me it like, did it's very it, disorienting in some parts. Yeah, and like the 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 way it built tension was similar to Black Swan, where she would have like she was kind of losing her mind in her in the isolation she found herself within, and she would have kind of weird moments of like manias that where she was hallucinating but it was difficult as a viewer to tell if what you were seeing was a hallucination or real so like there's a scene where she like cuts herself that i thought like was oh my real. God, the flyer scene i thought that for sure happened and then like suddenly it suggests that it didn't happen and it was just so disorienting but also a, you just, like, a good you way sticking that plier to her arm and just yeah it. and it reminded me of the hangnail scene in black black swan you know where she like starts picking at her skin and then suddenly like pulls it all the way down and then it then it isn't real but in that moment it's like you feel it and um luckily this is a movie where uh it's it's driven by an amazing performance that might actually get oscar recognition so there's that and it should Kristen stewart i i pray that this is her i mean that's that's the one silver lining is that this could very well give and and she's one of our best current actresses so i'm so happy that she's getting uh the limelight for it but no i love spencer i thought it was wonderful yeah 
no, I uh, just, yeah, an incredible movie. And I will say like as deep without spoiling anything is as dark a film as it is and upsetting and disturbing and truly horrific at times. Um, it, it features two moments. There's, there's, there's a moment near the end that is just pure joy uh, that I, I just absolutely love. And I can't talk about it because it would spoil something, but I will say there is another moment earlier in the movie that involves a profession of love that Kristen Stewart's reaction and like the reaction of Diana in that moment could have been like, my God, there were so many ways that that could have been handled poorly. And instead, with her performance and the way that, you know, both actors handle that moment and it just it's so just like charming and sweet and fun and feels like such a release, uh, given everything that's led up to that in this movie. And um, yeah, my God, one one of the best movies of the year, surely, if uh, it would weirdly I, I think it totally deserves to be in a top 10 horror list. Uh, it would likely make my top 10 movies of the year like just of any genre, I think it's um, it's marvelous. So thank you for putting that on your list. Thousand percent. All right, Paul, we are on to your number two. Uh, my number two is a little unorthodox. It is Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Now, let me explain. <laughs> I'm already um, here. <clears throat> I'm in. Uh, no, it's OK. For real. Um, my number two uh, floored me. It is Last Night in Soho. That was on my, my I knew it. I knew you were going to get there before me. I knew it was either going to be you or Allie, but that is, uh, that's my number one. Okay. Well, um, so yeah, last night in Soho, I had heard a lot of things about this movie. I had heard, you know, some people loved it. Some people hated it. So I didn't quite know what to expect. I did not watch a trailer. Uh, that's actually a very common thing for me, like malignant, no trailer. I, I really don't watch trailers at all anymore. And it has been one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life because now I get to go into movies really having no idea what to expect. And it's always really exciting. So when I saw last night in Soho, I just like, I, I could not even tell you like we were going to watch it. My wife was like, what's it about? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I, I have no idea what this movie's about. I just know that it's directed by Edgar Wright. And that was enough. But the way the movie, gosh, it, it tells a story that sort of echoes through time, events, emotions, in a very fluid way, while at the same time, again, and here's a common theme, building towards an ever sort of encroaching sense of paranoia um, that kind of pervades this, the, the whole film. Um, but it's also about, you know, not, not the evils of humanity, but specifically the evils of man. <laughs> right. I like I can attest to that. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Paul, like, do you, do you mean the evils way... of man or do you mean the evils of men? Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, right. That's specifically what I mean. And um, the, the, the consequences that their evils reap and sort of the disturbing worlds that are born out of the, the, the dreams that those that they slaughter along the way towards their perceived success or power or whatever it is that, you know, the, the ego of, of 
a entitled white man uh, so desires. And I thought the way the movie dissected that and showcased that, not just sort of in a modern day setting, but over the course of many decades was incredibly fascinating. I loved how the supernatural stuff was handled. I like that, you know, the, the story concerns a girl who sort of has the power to commune with ghosts, but we don't ever really go into that too much. It's just a thing. It's, it's, it's uh, yeah, she can do this, <laughs> you know, like she sees her mom sometimes like that. It's such a, a smart way of handling that plot point that you never see in modern films because most of the time now it's like the movie would spend the whole first act trying to get us to like understand what she can do and why she can do it. And here's three examples. And, you know, before you actually get into the meat of the story and this movie just gets to the meat of the story. Um, Edgar Wright is a stylish director, sometimes to a fault, you know, IE something like baby driver, but this is a movie where he really harnesses, his more stylish tendencies in purpose and service of the story. And it never feels out of place or distracting. Um, And he crafts such a beautiful vision of the past that also feels sharp and deadly. You know, he challenges our, our notions towards nostalgia um, and, and kind of reminds us that these, these times and places that we like to think were, the good old days were actually, you know, just as dark and dangerous as anything now, if not worse in many ways. So I thought the, the whole thrust of the film uh, was, was great and completely captivating. And it, and it builds towards a finale that is unforgettable and, and powerful and scary and really just pays the entire damn thing off. Um, so I loved last night in Soho. Um, it is my second favorite Edgar Wright movie. Um, it's probably his best movie, but I just can't shake the love I have for Shaun of the Dead. But other than that, there's nothing that he's made that even comes remotely close to how good this movie is in my eyes. Yeah. Ali, how about you? How did you ultimately wind up feeling about the movie? I know we've talked about it at length before, but I can't. We, we've we've done a lot of episodes this year. We have. And it's one of those movies where. I think when I first watched, it, I was like, OK, I get it. And then having rewatched it a few times now, I'm like, oh, OK, you know what? No, I really did like this movie. Like it stuck with me and it. I don't know if it was the rewatches that made it happen, but like I'm happy that I rewatched it because I do love the two lead actresses, like Anya Taylor Joy or Anya Joy Taylor. I can't. And Taylor Joy, I think. Taylor Joy, right? It's Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah. Um, and uh, Tomlinson McKenzie, is that her name? Thomas Thomason? Thomason, yeah. Yeah. Like I love them both so much. I love Matt's. Smith. Oh my God. I am like six drinks in and I'm like now <laughs> but it took a few rewatches but it was very close to being on my list which is why I had to give it an honorable mention because I was like you know what it won me over 
like there are very few films where I was like, eh, that was okay. And then I don't revisit them. But I was like, no, I missed something. I need to revisit this more. And yeah, like it's not as good as Shaun of the Dead, but compared to Baby Driver, leaps and bounds better. I was not a Baby Driver fan. I'm sorry. I might be in the minority of that. I, I love Baby Driver, I, but I, I haven't like seen Baby it in a couple of years because I feel like uh, the movie has been forever tainted like twice yeah. over now. So like I, I utterly I just had so much fun with that movie. Now I don't know when I'll be able to revisit it and just be able to watch it as a movie again. You know what I mean? I, I thought. Yeah. Anyway, no, you're fine. No, but um, no, I, I, I agree. I, I, I mean, it's got to come down when it comes to Edgar Wright. It's got to come down, I think, to Shaun of the Dead and Last Night in Soho. Uh, Shaun will always be my favorite. I think uh, there's probably just no topping that. The time of life that I saw that movie in for the first time, and like just what it means to me. Like it's that's I would be. Very, I want to see the movie that he makes that is better than that. Um, or well. I think I have actually because I do think Last Night in Soho is his best movie, but I'll say that it endears itself more to me than Shaun of the Dead. Uh, but no, Last Night in Soho I think is hands down his best. Uh, I think it shows that he has matured quite a lot as a filmmaker. Paul, you mentioned like you know his, his sort of visual style and how that can be sometimes to a fault. I I know what you mean. Like I always have fun with that. That's the trademark. That's the Edgar Wright thing, that kind of energy and the cutting and the choreography uh, and the stylistic flourishes. And certainly last night in Soho exhibits all of that, but it's, it's toned down and it's all in service of telling the story rather than, um, you know, just being kind of gratuitous and in a generally marvelous way with this other movie. Sure. But you know, this movie is telling a story that has so much more weight and it is set in a period that is has always kind of been romanticized, but gets to the dark underbelly of it. And, um, you know, Paul, you covered all this, too, but I agree with you that it, it. I thought it was really interesting, especially in this time, like where we're at right now, that we have this movie that talks about the dangers of nostalgia and the very specific danger of nostalgia and looking at the past, you know, with kind of rose colored glasses and thinking that everything was, you know, the, the, the better days, the grand old days as they were the good old days, you know, uh, in doing so we forget about the horrors that existed at that time. And in doing so it blinds us to those very same horrors that continue to haunt us today. Uh, this movie, even for being, you know, the bulk of it being set in the past, it feels very timely. It feels very post me too, maybe more so than any movie I've seen recently. I, I think credit must go to Edgar Wright's co-writer on this project. It's a uh, Christy Wilson Cairns for providing what surely was an invaluable, like female perspective. Um, I don't know. I just, it, it absolutely floored me. I've seen the movie a few times now and it gets a little bit better with every watch. Uh, and I can't, I can't wait to watch it again. Um, I it is it is easily my favorite movie of the year, and um, I think Edgar Wright is going to have a very hard time topping this movie uh, from here on. But you know what? I hope he rises to the occasion, and I hope he does just that. Yeah. And I will say, I, I did mention Christy Wilson Cairns. I want to say, looking back at 2021, you know, we were talking about how uh, you know people seem to chat a lot about the year as though you know there weren't enough great movies, maybe not even enough to put together a top ten. Uh, we we talked about various trends and whatnot, but one thing, it, it only occurred to me about five minutes ago after listening to all of our choices going through our top tens, but let me run down the list here. We have Christy Wilson-Cairns, we have Prano Bailey Bond, Jill Gebergizian, 
Lee Janiak, Rebecca Hall, Kristen Stewart, Julia Ducanal, Rose Glass. Like, give me more female voices in horror. Right. Uh, it, it feels like there's been a dearth of that. And look at the selections that we have made, you know, for the best of the year that we have here. And tell me that, you know, the, the genre doesn't benefit from voices that, you know, uh, have been at a certain point all too seldom heard from. Yeah, that's yep. true. Women deserve it. It's our time. <clears throat> it is. And the men will feel it. We shall come for you and your firstborn in your blood. That seems okay. fair. So rein it in. Uh, getting a little terrible. Oh. No. I'm so uh, and I'm I mean, gonna we have it. We have it coming. Did you watch last night in Soho? <laughs> I did. Right? did. Um, our no, are all the so, same. You know, we we reaped what we sow, and here we are. So, uh, Paul, that was your number two. Uh, yes. Okay, my number two was the stylist. So oh. we are here at the last. Allie, your number one movie of 2021. Number one horror film, I should say. My number one horror film, and it's truly the film that meant the most to me. It's the one that inspired me to go out and make my feature and learn all my lessons, was The Night House. It's, we've already talked about it, but it was my number one film. Rebecca Hall crushed it, and that script stayed with me, and I've watched it over and over so many times, and I'm just, every time you watch it, you find something new. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my God, what a! Uh, I'm sorry. Before I make this final uh, statement, I'll go on to Paul. We we've already, I know we've already talked about your number one. We've already talked about my number one, but we'll go ahead and round it out. Your number one was the Fear Street trilogy. Yeah. Uh, all right, my number one was Last Night in Soho, and that brings us to the end here. Um, you know what? Pretty damned great year for horror films. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, so much so that I actually had trouble narrowing it down to 10 entries. I have some honorable mentions. How about you two? I have a few honorable mentions. Some we've already talked about. Some we haven't talked about. Some that aren't even close to being horror movies that I just want to bring up. All right. So we have <laughs> 10 minutes on the clock. I'm starting it now. Tick, 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 tick. Allie, which honorable mentions would you like to talk about? Okay. Honorable mentions. I thought old was really great. Didn't make my top 10, but I loved it. Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City was a hell of a lot of fun. Didn't make my top 10, but I mean, I don't think a Resident Evil is going to make my top 10 ever. But again, had a lot of fun. The three hour long documentary of Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. Fucking incredible. Kayla Janice knows what the fuck she is doing when it comes to creating just an amazing documentary about folklore horror. Folklore horror. Oh my God. Everyone should go out and watch it. But my number one honorable mention, which is not a horror movie in any way, and I'm not going to even try and defend it as a horror movie. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. That is the number one honorable mention of the year. I'm leaving. Uh, can I can I tell you that that is my favorite movie of the year? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's my number one. That's That's what's above Pig. Like, it's, it's Barb and Star. I shit I you it. not. I love it. And it's because it's the movie that made me the happiest. It is. It just it brings you such a warmth. And at the end, when Reba McIntyre shows up, you're like, oh, my God, I just I feel so safe and protected here. I love it. And also, I always like it's on my Spotify. But when Jamie Doran sings his sad song to the seagulls, 
I every time it comes on my playlist, I like shout it and die because it's so good. It is great. Love it. Paul, how about you? Honorable mentions. Um, okay. Uh, my So it would be a movie Jinx hated called The Initiation that I loved. What? The Initiation? What's wrong with you, Jinx? I didn't say uh, I hated it. I said I just really didn't like it that much. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought it was a great slasher. Uh, underseen. Deserves more eyes on it. Um, re- yeah. Really cool slasher. Kind of it had some promising young woman vibes in my eyes because it's sort of about uh, frat guys who are doing super shitty things and date raping and such getting horrifically murdered by a slasher. And I thought in, and, and it handled its subject matter well, and I liked it. Um, another one I would call out is night books, uh, a Netflix okay. kids spooky movie that I liked a lot. Um, and my kids really liked so I had fun with that. Uh, the Conjuring 3, I had a lot of fun with. I know a lot of people didn't like it, but I thought it was the best Conjuring movie. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, Oxygen, I really liked. Uh, the new Alexandra Aha movie. I need to see that. Uh was really right. good. Um, woman in a sort of space capsule, uh, kind of dealing with like a Siri-like you know, auto- automated system trying to survive. Uh, pretty, pretty solid little thriller uh, in a very contained space. Um, Army of the Dead, I had a ton of fun with. I know people like to shit on that one, but I thought it was super fun. I don't know. I don't know why people complain about Zack Snyder stuff, but they do. Uh, Blood Red Sky, I really enjoyed, but I wish I didn't know what it was. I wish the vampire element had been a surprise i think that hurt it but well wait there are vampires in it yeah i know weird right even though the poster shows a vampire uh and shows you who the vampire is yeah and it's supposed to be a surprise (laughs) um willie's wonderland was amazing (laughs) yeah amazing uh nicholas cage doesn't speak a word and he fights Chuck E. cheese robots uh that was great um barb and star go to vista del mar is the best movie of the year uh, I agree with that. We already talked about Last Duel. Uh, Wrath of Man is amazing. Oh, my God. Uh, and that could be talked about in a horror movie setting, I think. I, think I agree. Could make an argument for it. Final 20 minutes. Um, my God. Yeah, I mean, that movie fucking blew me away. That was another one that Jinx recommended and, and made my, like, non-horror top 10. Um, yeah, I think that's probably enough. Uh, you mentioned a couple that I will hear. I, um, I, I, the Conjuring Devil made me do it. I, I thought it was fantastic. It's just marvelous, spooky, fun. Yeah, prestige. I love that. Movie. Or, I don't know why so many people don't like it. I don't. I hated that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I a lot of people hated it. I'm like, I feel like I'm the only one that like I watched it and I was like, am I watching a different movie? Like I loved it. I thought it was great, but I, I did. I did too. I stayed up until three a.m. the night that it premiered, just so yeah. I could see it. And, but I'm uh, also the weirdo that like flat out doesn't like Conjuring Two, and a lot of people like Conjuring Two. I just don't like it. I wasn't the biggest fan, but I liked it more than three. Three, three. I would rank maybe my favorite. I think three is the most fun. I think one is probably the best made, but I think if I was going to have to sit down and watch one, I'd watch three. 
How dare you? Willie's Wonderland doesn't have also my list. Uh, for all the reasons that Paul mentioned, yeah, Nicolas Cage is having a blast. It's very much, uh, you know, how is it that the damn, what is the name of the video game? Like Five Nights at Freddy's, that thing's been around yeah, for a decade. And it's gotten yeah. beaten to the punch twice now, and marvelously yeah. so in each case so with weird. this. And uh, I forget what the other one was called. Meet the Banana Splits. Was it yeah. the Banana Split movie? Something like that. So between that and Willy's Wonderland, I feel like we've already gotten a Five Nights at Freddy's movie uh, yeah. without that actually happening. Uh, Willy's Wonderland is Thank a blast. You. I want to see more. I don't necessarily need to see more of the animatronics. I just want to see more of Nicolas Cage's mute badass traveling the country and getting into scrapes with different types of villains. Um, I had a lot of fun with the song sequel Spiral. I thought it was very well made, very well acted. Um, yeah, I, I see what else comes from that. Army of the Dead is just so much fun. And I will say that the prequel movie, uh, Army of Thieves, which is far, far less of a horror movie, but still set within the same world, is so much fun, too. I I fucking love this franchise so far, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Um, and Don't Breathe 2, which uh, kind of surprised me. I thought it would be a cheap knockoff, uh, you know, just so they could squeeze the title uh a bit and instead it gives us a completely different type of film set within the same world with the same characters uh that is kind of akin to um blind man on fire uh mm-hmm. it's very much the the vibe that it has and um it surprised the hell out of me it's super intense very well made very well acted and um i, I enjoyed the hell out of it um yeah and i think that's it for my honorable mentions so overall, cool. 2021, pretty damn good. Okay, we are nearing the three-hour mark, which, weirdly enough, three hours sounds like a lot, but for a top ten show, this is actually pretty uh, pretty brief. But um, I guess just in summing up, Allie, Paul, 2021 in horror films, not bad, right? Like, pretty, pretty damn good. No. Yeah, solid year. Final yeah. thoughts, everyone, on the year that was. My final thoughts are that I also had a top five TV show seasons because I didn't know where we were going with this. I have never done one of these before. Okay, we have two and a half minutes left and it has to include my outro. Alec, go, 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 TV, go. So in five, the new season of Yellow Jackets, if you haven't checked it out, Christina Ricci, Juliette Lewis, amazing. Everyone should go watch it. Plus Melanie Linsky and a bunch of teens who get stranded. It's beautiful. Four, the new Dexter series. I feel like they're bringing it back now and I'm really enjoying it. Three, not horror, but needs to be mentioned. Season three of Succession. Brian Cox taken over. He is truly the evilest person, but I love him so much and we'll follow him till the end. Two, only murderers in the building. It's yes. awesome. Martin Short, Stephen Martin, everyone you want. And it's on Disney Plus. Everyone go watch it. The number one film or TV show of 2021 was obviously Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass. Oh, yeah, it is yeah. everything. It is Salem's Lot. It is Christianity. It is horrifying. And I love it. I love a good seaside town. I will throw an honorable mention to a new genre that I like to call resort splo- resort exploitation, such <laughs> as the white the white lo- white lotus and nine perfect strangers, which all take place in like horrific accidents that happen at resorts. And because of the pandemic, season six of Superstore, I feel perfect perfectly encapsulates what we all went through in the last three years. Okay, so out of your top five, I have not seen Succession, but the rest of them are absolute gold. Uh, Yellow Jackets is just jaw-droppingly brilliant to me. Paul. I I know. 
Everyone keeps need, telling me to watch it. I know. You need, oh, need to see it. I know. Give Christina Ricci some money. We all should be always watching whatever she does. I Maybe maybe I'll... I don't know. Because I want to watch something tonight, but I can't watch a movie at this point. It's too late. So maybe uh, pilot, pilot of Yellow Jackets. Do it. Just, just Ooh, no, it. just go on Netflix and start watching season six of Superstore. Because <laughs> it's all just about like a Walmart during the pandemic. And I feel like that's relatable to everybody. All right. Allie, where can folks find you at online? And what we yeah, 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 yeah I got to flood this outro. <laughs> where can folks find you at online? And what can we keep an eye out for from you in the future? Uh, uh, I am on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all the things at the Ali Chapel, T H E A L I C H A P P E L L. And sadly, I don't have anything on the go because COVID took away my last two gigs. So if anyone out there bought tickets to see me as Cheryl in Evil Dead the Musical this month, it is no longer happening. And I'm terribly sorry, but you can get refunded. But you know what? I got all frustrated and made myself a studio because that's how I run things. And maybe I'll start a YouTube channel or a Twitch stream. Who knows? So find me on those platforms as well. You know, I have faith that that is going to come back though, and you'll get that opportunity again because there is a brand new Evil Dead movie that is due out much later this year. So, hey, you know, what? once we kick COVID to the curb, finally, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, maybe dovetail the stage show with the new movie. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know. <laughs> Look, all I need is an excuse for Paul and I to make a road trip to come see you in something. I'm just throwing that no. out there. Yeah. No, I'll just come to you guys. It'll be fine. <laughs> All right, Paul, socials and future. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Paul is great 2000. Oh, my God. A little. We have two minutes. OK, uh, <laughs> that's it. That's where you can find me and on Instagram, too, I suppose. And you are still writing columns for Bloody Disgusting. Uh, can you tell people about Hammer Factory quickly? Yeah. Uh, Yes, uh, I took a look at uh, Scream Factory releases of Hammer movies, and I break them down, give you a little context on what was happening with the movie, and uh, analyze it, and then talk about the release and the special features. Uh, there was one on The Witches that's up right now, and then there's going to be another one on Lust for the Vampire, and I'm working on The Evil of Frankenstein right now. Yeah. I, I have some other stuff coming up, but I'm not going to talk about it yet, because it's still in development but there will be more this year rock on all right this was a great way to send off 2021 thank you both so much for co-hosting i cannot wait until we're back at the normal thing you know having some booze and watching some hammer but until then thanks again and thanks to all you listeners out there as always please make certain to like subscribe share use the comment section below scream at us on facebook and twitter that's at scream Addicts, and i'm at jinx1981 it's also worth noting that this show is produced by brad bear and edited by seth bear thank you both so much until next time everyone have a great evening nope gonna fuck no gonna say that one more time until next time folks thanks so much and have a great weekend okay nailed it One year.